Welcome to episode 50. Yes, 50 of the Triple Takeover Toycast. This is your fortnightly podcast about Transformers and other toy lines. We've done episodes on Mask, Starcom, Diaclone. But for episode 50, we're doing Transformers the movie. It's the absolute big one, isn't it? I can't believe that we've made it to 50 big episodes already. Can I just say, I am very disappointed that you did not do that in the voice of the narrator from Transformers the movie. Right. I was expecting it. It is the year 2023. Nobody needs that. The Galaxy uh, Spanning Podcast Adventures. See, this is exactly what we said we wouldn't do. (laughs) Okay, you might have heard them already, but I am joined by toy writer, photographer, toy box soapbox, also known as Liam. What hope? And I'm joined by toy photographer, writer, and YouTuber, Sixer. I thought you were going to call me something much worse, I've got to tell you. There's plenty of time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. The evening is young. He's going to call you a bozo. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a big bozo. I'm king. (laughs) Get on with the ceremony! Okay, so here we are, episode 50. This is a topic that we've... um, I'll tell you what, this is a topic that I have been putting off. Not because I needed to watch the movie to find out what happens again, but it's, it's very hard to find a Transformers fan for whom this doesn't mean a great deal. Yeah. So there's no point showing up to a recording like this and kind of half assing it. I felt like I needed to be ready. So I watched the movie again the other day for like the millionth time. And it still gives me fi- uh, gives me feels, gives me all the vibes, you know, spine tingling moments. It's I don't know how many times I've seen this film, but I don't think any other movie does this to me after this many watches. Yeah, I think it's the same for me. I've got to tell you, I, the thing with this film is that people can say online, oh, it's not such a great movie or it's really not, you know, like there's a, there's a healthy dose of nostalgia that you need in order to feel a, a certain way about it or whatever. And that's fine. I can kind of even agree with a lot of the critiques and points that are made or whatever. I don't really care because I just love it so much from start to finish. Hey, 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 hey. We're not, we're not agreeing with those people, not around these parts. <laughs> this movie is sacrosanct. Right. All I'm saying is I can, you know, I can objectively see some of the critiques, even though I do actually think it's a good film. It's, it's brilliant. I'm on the other side of that fence. I don't, I don't like these critiques of it. I think people look too deep. I think they have to find a reason to, you know, almost like justify why they like it. Like, oh, I know it's terrible, but like it's a guilty pleasure. Oh, yeah, I don't, a, I don't do that. It's bloody fun. I enjoy yeah. it. It looks great. It moves great. Yeah. The music's great. It's a fun film. And if it's a fun film, you like it. And there's your film review. Yeah. That That is the most film review yeah. we're going to be yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this episode. I mean, sh- we've got a running order of topics, but what we've decided to do is we've decided to treat the movie as we do our normal episode topics and just talk about the things we like, cover like some main bases we've highlighted. But also, um, we'd love to dig into some of the more detailed aspects of the movie, things like trivia, the soundtrack and other such topics in our Patreon content. So we're going to do mini-sodes on, on some of the more specific movie topics. And uh, if you want to get access to our episodes early, if you want to hear some of the many, many extra hours of content that we provide, whether it's a mini-sode that you've commissioned or someone else has commissioned, or it's a mini-series on an ongoing topic, or you want to vote in polls and sort of kind of decide what we do episodes on, and you want to join our Discord server, then you need to check us out on Patreon for more details on all of that stuff, extra content patreon.com forward slash triple takeover and we also have a sponsor for the evening that is tfsource.com do check them out for all your transformers and third party needs we'll do a bit of a longer segment on them in the middle of the pod but you know surrounded by lots of other good transformers the movie stuff yet to come i feel like we should also add the word diaclone i mean that's where i shop for my diaclone and yeah. they have so much of it and i know loads of people go there for diaclone so you need to revise your catchphrase man all right are you into diaclone you never 
mention no. that. Oh, double. A double. Double clone. Brand new information there. There's die clone in this movie. <laughs> double battles. <laughs> That's what you do. Okay, sure. Liam's off on one. Double battles. Yeah. Double battles V2. He's <laughs> <laughs> had his funny pills. Don't you have something to contribute now? I do, because, you know, if you want more triple takeover... Have a file of facts. Don't do that. Have some cutlery. We don't do that either. Well, that's your fault for a lack of creativity and planning, (laughs) isn't it? And you know what? We don't have any Starcom products either. (laughs) What am I even doing this advert for, then? Uh, (laughs) If you want a tea cosy? Have we we at least got a tea cosy? No, no, we don't do tea cosies. (laughs) We do coasters. You can design one, Liam. Okay, okay. So we have coasters, shower curtains, leggings. Do we still have the leggings? We do. Okay, something is still real in this in this world okay i mean there but you can find all of this along with you know many other products featuring sixo's fantastic artwork that we have shouted on, on uh twitter and stuff because it doesn't quite get the love it de- deserves i believe but you can have products of that on it. rebel.com forward slash people forward slash trouble takeover forward slash explore explore you know every time you read that out i notice that you're looking up and I'm wondering if you've just got like a post-it note up there with the address on. <laughs> a big poster. I refuse to confirm or deny that speculation. <laughs> Talking of posters and keeping it on topic, Liam, has your Transformers the Movie poster arrived yet? Yes, it's uh, over there somewhere, not in poster mode. It's transformed right. into a little booklet mode. Oh, it's still in poster magazine mode at the moment. Yes. So, oh, good. I am glad that you got one. So I've, as you can see, I've got mine right behind me. Yeah, uh, ready for inspiration. Can I have one? Uh, well, if you can find one. Well, if anyone out there has one and they don't want it any longer, I would like one. Yeah, th- this was a, a UK. I think it was a UK specific thing. It I was. Yeah, yeah it's Marvel it, UK. Mar- uh, yeah, Marvel UK poster magazine, uh, like a little fold-out thing that was released in '86, and uh, incredible little thing. But then with a a UK, it must be UK specific, yeah, because it's got the UK poster on it, um, which is. The best poster. I'm sorry, objectively, the best poster. Like, uh, that is not of the place. <laughs> but uh going to have lots of American people now saying, oi, 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 hang on a minute. Maybe not in that accent. but And, yeah, it's just a little fantastic thing. But I've got mine framed behind me. And, Liam, you've managed to track one down as well. Yeah, yeah. I must have tweeted about it or spoken about it regularly for the last, like, 30-summit years because it was one of the most uh, important parts of media for this film that I owned as a kid. Like, I poured over it constantly and I, re- I remember it it's like seared into my brain so getting it recently was just such an amazing thing just looking at it even though you know it's just mostly screen captures the film other than the poster yeah Things you've seen a million times but seeing them as they were as i remember them it's just perfect with a little uh, i completely agree with that and actually that sort of really encapsulates a lot of my love for this film hmm. at, at its core because i i just have such big memories of this movie and that poster magazine, yeah. funnily enough. But I had I had it up on my bedroom wall as a kid, and it just meant so much to me. And we had yeah. the VHS, the, the VHS copy that I still have of this film, and I watched it, I think, every Saturday morning, basically. Uh, there's a picture somewhere of me in my pyjamas as a little kid, just sat glued to the <laughs> screen, just watching this thing. And I, even as a as a lad, I knew the script of this thing inside out. Yeah, please look out for that photo in the episode artwork. It is on <laughs> You have to look really close. Yeah. Really, really close. Were you six? Were you uh, 06 then? Uh, was I 06? Yeah, I was 06 as opposed to <laughs> 60, I guess, at yeah. that point. Yeah. But uh, no, it's it's just such a, a love for this film. And I think that was why 
we felt that this was just the right thing to do for yeah. our 50th episode, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I thought it was just because we'd run out of uh, you know other topics, but here we are. Plenty more Beast Wars yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, which you can see on our page and we see where right. that's going. Um, but yeah, you've just said how much this means to you. And I think uh, let's kind of go back to the start with this and talk about our first memories of the movie and where we saw it first and like how old we were. I remember the exact date I saw it, which I... Well, I say the exact date, and I saw it a few days before it came out, uh, uh, like a press screening or something like that. But really? It was just, yeah, it was uh, my mum won tickets in the paper, and then like, the evening did. post. They were doing a giveaway <laughs> thing where you could go and see it slightly early. I've of told co- this story to you guys multiple times. This oh is how little God. you listen to me. <laughs> you went to a press screening as a four-year-old. Four-year-old. Yeah, I'd only just turned four as well because obviously my birthday oh. is the second of December. So it was. It would. I can't remember the exact date it came out, but I remember it was a. Couple, it was a few days before it came out. And I, was this uh, before or after your mum wrote off to Weetabix and got you every Transformer ever? Oh, this is pre Goldbots Classics era, man. This right. is proper G one, you know. Yeah, so, of course it would have been. But yeah, it was some kind of. Uh, I don't know. They were just giving away tickets for some reason to like an early screening. But yeah, I remember the queue outside at the Odeon, which is now a Taco Bell, which I regularly <laughs> frequent at three o'clock on. Sunday mornings and after a night Stop out to find like a movie standee at one point like with your taco it's really weird going in and ordering some dusted fries and a burrito you know from a place where I remember staring at that poster because it's <laughs> but that poster is what I remember is being in the queue as a kid with my mum and the people in front of us and then that poster on the wall you know, in the coming soon, as they used to have outside of... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And, oh, God, just staring at it. I think Nick Roach has the original one. Not the original one from the Nottingham Cinema, but that movie poster. Yeah, yeah, The quad sure. poster, which is laid the, out The quad poster is super desirable now. Yeah. That's like, that goes for, for big bucks on eBay, yeah. I see. Uh, but it's massive as well. I mean, you yeah. need... Uh, That's yeah. the one with a very blue background, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the lighter blue. Paul's had a few of those down the years. They, they are incredible, and I remember him selling one to a, a US buyer for a, a really high amount. So yeah, they are super desirable, but they're also incredible. I mean, imagine being able to display that. That's the thing. You would need an entire wall, basically, in most people's houses anyway, free, with no window or anything to, to display that thing. It's just massive. Yeah, but you would. You, you would, though, if you could. Yeah, you would. I mean, yeah. who, needs, who needs windows? Exactly. It's a proper house feature, that, though, isn't it? It's one right. You put it on a wall, it's the only thing that goes on that wall. Right. You know, people go back us. Wow. Yeah, yeah. To, to us. Yeah. <laughs> like cool people, only people that matter. <laughs> Did you enjoy the movie when you saw yeah. it as a wee four-year-old? I remember being stunned and there were lots of things I didn't like because it didn't feel like the Transformers I was so used to from the cartoons. Mm. There were lots of things that, and I remember coming out and it took a few more return visits to for a lot of sneaking, but I did like most of it. It was just the sudden influx of new characters and even at that age i was very aware of the ones i knew and liked being pushed out straight away mm-hmm. and be like what's this i don't deal well with change at the best of times so <laughs> very oh, example of it yeah. we hadn't noticed yeah. it shocked me what do you know what's so funny is i legitimately cannot remember the first time i saw it honestly yeah. which i know is a bit disappointing for the benefit of this conversation but i've said this before that i'm always surprised by the, t- the pair of you your ability to conjure up memories <laughs> from when you were four years old or whatever it might have been. I just have no recollection of that stuff, honestly. Like, I can barely remember if I had specific Transformers toys or not. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've got a, a fairly good idea on some of them, but then I, I get confused sometimes because, like, some 
I'm like, I have really big memories of like Springer, for example, G1 Springer, but I don't believe I had it. So I think it was just a mate from school or whatever. And I just obviously ended up playing with it a lot. But I, all of this is sort of a bit jumbled in my brain from that era, my memories. So I, I don't remember the first time I saw the film, but I do remember, I, I don't believe I ever saw it at the cinema, but I do remember sitting and watching it on VHS very oh, vividly. Yeah. And just, I, I remember specific times watching it. It was that often. And uh, just obviously got that familiar with it that, as I say, I could um, could could quote it quite happily. What's your uh, earliest memory of your feelings about it? I think just awe and wonder, really. I, I remember thinking that the feel of the film was just, you know, it says on the poster uh, that it's it's more than your wildest imagination. Beyond good, beyond, beyond good, beyond yeah, evil, beyond your wildest beyond imagination. Your wildest imaginations, yeah. Uh, and that really is is it for me because it was I, I, it blew my brain even as a tiny whatever year old I was. You know that I just couldn't comprehend this universe and this world and this everything that I was seeing represented there. Everything from like the glowing lights really kind of captivated me to the style of the characters, the dialogue. You know, there are films that you see when you're in your kind of, I don't know, you're in your teens or whatever, and then you see them again in, in later years, and you're like, oh, it wasn't as good as I remembered it was. You know, and at the time, you think it's this, like, epic movie, and when you go back and revisit it, I don't know, it just looks a bit wonky, or it's not qu- quite as densely packed as maybe you thought it was. Yeah, of course, yeah. This has none of that for me. Like, it's it's not lost none of that childhood wonder at all. Uh, and I still watch it now and get that same feeling of, like, man, this is incredible. So I just love it. My first memory of this movie was seeing it in the cinema with my class at school. So we went Ah. with school to watch it. I remember sitting in what must have been a rather empty cinema. And uh, I remember crying when Optimus Prime died. I remember that. Uh, But obviously I must have really enjoyed it because at the first opportunity, uh, I got the VHS. So, you know, the video gems, which is hugely connected to this movie for me. The video gems logo. And like you, I remember loads of occasions at home sitting and watching this movie. Like I remember one occasion was with my cousin and I remember we were both had bowls of Maltesers and were watching this movie. I remember I was getting irritated because she was laughing every time I was laughing. So I started to pretend laugh and she would laugh too. And I knew she wasn't understanding what was going on, but uh, that's beside the point. (laughs) But yes, I remember all those individual moments of watching the film and i only had four transformers vhs as a kid i didn't have loads movie was one arrival from cybertron megatron's master plan and desertion of the dinobots so i didn't have a huge collection of vhs same and uh, i also remember how much i watched that and then a friend of mine wanted to borrow it and he did borrow it and i think his uh, vcr chewed up the tape at uh, the end of it and uh, when I got it back, I noticed that. And uh, yeah, no, I didn't speak to him for years after that. <laughs> That's how much it meant to me. It was a cherished item. It is a cherished item. I still have the VHS, the, that very same VHS. But uh, it was a very special movie because it was Transformers. And like you guys, I noticed how different it was straight away. Starscream dying was traumatic because he was a favorite character of mine. Uh, spoilers. Sorry, people, if you haven't seen it. But we were all very young as well. Like this is, yeah, me, yeah. I think this would have been my first encounter with death on screen. Like yeah, I'd have been yeah. four. Like and understanding what was going on, it would have been being confronted with yeah. all these characters being killed. And then obviously you have the Optimus Prime death, where it's so emotional because it's like a wake on his deathbed. Mm. We're not- right in here with the deaths, aren't we? I mean, we had it on the list to talk about. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fairly synonymous yeah. with this film, isn't it? Yeah, that's what a lot of non-Transformers uh, people always cite about the film, isn't it? Yeah. But, I, but I really remember like the second time going to watch 
watch it and hoping it would be different. I remember being like, really like, it's going to be different this time. They're going to survive. It's, you know, Otto Frank is going to win. Yeah. Yeah, I would have been hilarious. four. So it was like, I remember watching it backwards and it's still not happening again. But, <sighs> they still yeah. haven't updated the movie, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I was convinced. I had no real understanding of that stuff. But like, I didn't have the VHS until like the 90s. Like I saw it a lot of times at the cinema. My cousin had the VHS, but then it lived on through the poster magazine and the uh, Ladybird book. And I had that too. Yeah, the Ladybird yeah. book, absolutely. Uh, but you were mentioning about the deaths being impactful. I mean, I only got my first Transformer super late, nineteen eighty-five, or maybe even early eighty-six, and it was Starscream. So seeing him die in the movie in the same year was a little bit like too soon, yeah. you know. And a lot of other characters in the movie I knew from the cartoon, but I'd never seen toys of. So. That was a was a big thing, and then yeah, like this massive influx of new characters. I I really did like the new characters, yeah. but I also remember watching the movie and having this these moments of confusion about I don't know who that is. Should I know who that is? Yeah, I had a lot yeah. of that. There, there was a, I think because I also read the Marvel comics as well. I I do remember a lot of like not understanding how it all fits together. Do you know what I mean? I, I think this was. Because when you're very young, you don't think about the fact that, oh, the comic is different from the cartoon. And if you've got Ladybird books and stuff as well and toy packaging bios, and it is confusing because you don't necessarily think of like, oh, there are different people writing this and it, you know, it doesn't all tie together. So I just remember being quite aware of like, it just felt like there was more to the story somehow. And uh, I guess there kind of is, but... It's the time jump. I was, I've always felt like the time jump didn't help it then because it leaps forward and it's like those characters have always been there. But yeah. like in the cartoon, when I was used to watching on like the children and stuff, you'd have like Red Alert or Trax or someone to turn up out of the blue with no explanation, but they get an episode sort of just on their own with other sort of older characters and stuff. Whereas in this, it's just like, here's all the new guys. They're way more important. <laughs> this is yeah. their episode, though. This is their episode. Yeah, they wasn't die in the cartoon, did they? <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you could you could be convinced watching this for the first time that you'd miss something, like an episode where Ultra Magnus is first introduced, for example, or something like yeah. that. You could honestly think that. And uh, it is a weird one, and I think it caused a lot of uh, confusion for, for a lot of people and everything. I'm still amazed that actually that period between 1985 or whatever it is and 2005 has never really been widely explored in Transformers yeah. fiction. I've always joked about the idea of like, um, just imagine like a season 2.5, you know, that they went back and kind of explored that 20-year gap uh, and everything that kind of took them from A to B. I think it'd be wonderful. I've always said, I don't understand why they haven't done a comic. Where is the comic, man? Like, yeah. it's perfect. It really would be. You've got 20 years of continuity that you could explore right there. But do you not? did you not get that um, same feeling of being wowed by how much bigger the their universe had become as when you read more than meets the eye do you did you not have any sort of wonder about it like oh wow look at their new city oh, look 100%. how look how oh, yeah. big spike's gotten and look at all these new characters look how nonchalantly virtually everyone is in this episode well, of course it's not an episode but that was i think i i remember that from the very beginning and being really taken by that by this this new world it's almost like all your friends had grown up yeah. some of them were still around some of them didn't make it it was it was more emotional than any episode was ever going to be and, and that yeah. stuck with me in a positive way i mean it is worth putting before we kind of get into the kind of movie itself it's worth putting it into context of like this was a really odd thing for them to do at the time it's quite unprecedented for them to have this big screen film that was tied into a cartoon and tied into a toy line 
And it had not really been done before in the same way. Yeah. But, but we wouldn't have known that, would we? No, 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 not at all. Yeah. But it, it, it is interesting. And it, I, I think it kind of explains that in, in some ways, I don't want to say it's not a bad thing about the film, but you can sort of see that they were working the kinks out with it a little bit. They had no idea what to expect. Right. It's really obvious they have no idea. It's very clear. Because you've got to remember where we are in time. Like these TV series, it's only really Master of the Universe is like the first of these toy advertising, you know, commercials almost isn't it and that's only what 82 84 yeah. and so gi joe transformers 84 you're still in this time frame where all this is brand new so then you get this movie which is also a new experiment really that's it they're figuring it out as they go along i mean yeah. i was just going to say about you know so like the death of optimus for example they changed the gi joe movie didn't they because yeah. they were going to have a a big character death in that as well but they they nixed it so that it it didn't happen because the reception to optimus's death was so charged that they were like, oh, wow, okay. Do you know what I mean? This is clearly meaning more to people than we'd sort of appreciated. And I just think that's fascinating because, and I, I do think that stuff like the 20-year the time jump, the whole kind of setting of it, the scale, I just think they didn't consider that this was going to be such a, not like jarring, but just such a consideration for people. Yeah, you do get that with sometimes big brands with with a big fan base, though, don't you? You do get that sometimes decision makers completely underestimate how much things mean to their yes. main customer base. And this is a wonderful example of that. I've seen it in games so much where, where someone will actually say in a meeting, but the players won't really care about that, will they? And this is a person in a decision-making position and everyone else in the meeting is like, oh, yes, they will. Yeah, But maybe that's how pop culture and and media and in the industry has developed from these early experiences where these guys were experimenting with treating it as yet another opportunity to shift product away and bring new product in but then understanding you know there's a reason these people all went to the cinema in the first place yeah yeah well it actually um it wasn't a big smash i've got some financials for you if you're interested or, or kind of want to hear just some brief bits i mean so in uh, it was reported initially in about 87, that it had made 2.6 million in the United States off a $5 million budget. So it's <laughs> not good, let's be fair. And uh, it was widely reported at the time to have been a, a bomb, uh, and it was considered as such. Uh, it's since been reported, and more recently, that actually it made about 5.8 million domestic overall. So it, it did actually make you know, more than its budget. Uh, at least. I mean, I, I don't know if that includes marketing and all yeah, of that. But, it, that know, they, sort of stuff on top would have... Exactly. It, it would have. It, it still would have yeah. if not been a major success, I'm sure. Uh, but it did have a 1.7 million opening weekend and it was across 990 cinemas. So it was pretty big, actually, in terms of the, the scale of the release and everything. But it's not like it, it did big numbers. Uh, adjusted for inflation now would be about $14.5 million uh, at the time. Uh, although actually where it's really found its legs has been on DVD and Blu-ray since 2006. Yeah, that would be me buying every version <laughs> yeah, of it that right. came out. I mean, digging through them all for this episode. Yeah, The VHS release was really successful though, wasn't it as well? It was. It, it didn't like linger in the charts here for like a year, like quite a high. Yeah, I think the VHS was big. And, and then again, it was the D, the yeah. DVD because it hadn't been out on VHS for so long. Mm. And I, I remember the, the DVD release because that was like mega. People were like, yeah, yeah. oh my God, yeah. I can own this film on dvd right. and, and the soundtrack like, too incredible. in um, 1998 the release of yeah. that was a big deal as well that was that was my pathway back into still the have movie. it yeah, yeah same yeah i bought it from i think it was hmv central yeah. 
I think while we're talking about it being a bomb, though, it's it is important. I think to say this isn't exclusive to Transformers or even the films of the time because it, oh no, it's animated movies based on cartoon series don't tend to do well. I think the Pokemon movie is mm. its own thing that did well, but a lot of these things because you also had years later you had Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, which is one of the best Batman films I've written, and it's, it's great. Huge, an enormous. It was a huge, huge box office flop because I imagine most parents are looking at it going. It's already on at home. Why would I take my kids to watch this? You know, there's, there's a lot of that element. It's already at home. There's not the real urge to go and see it at the cinema. And imagine that probably played a part in this as well. But it's it's just animated films in general. That G.I. Joe didn't go to the cinema, did it? But the Care Bears movie, yeah. that was another one. That, that flopped. Flopped, yeah. But a lot of these things. I may yeah. have seen that at the cinema too. What Care Bears? Yeah, it's, well, it's possible. The second one is still the scariest movie I've ever watched. It terrifies <laughs> me. I'm still traumatized by it. I've not watched it since the 80s because I'm still scared. Scare Bears. Yeah. Anybody die in that one? I, can't, I don't think anyone dies, but you know, it gets quite Optimus close. Prime again comes Right. Yeah, comes back. <laughs> just comes in. Yeah. Just from left field. Just croaks it. <laughs> but yeah, I do think the, the DVD was majorly influential. The soundtrack, yeah. as you said... Man, I can't even tell you. I mean, we're going to talk about the soundtrack separately, it's fair to say. So let, we won't go too that far down that path with this discussion because we're going to do a, a Patreon mini-sode on it. But that soundtrack, I remember listening to it for the first time on CD or whatever and just being like, I can't believe I'm yeah. listening to the music from this film. It was surreal. The feels. Yeah. Mm. And it, it just shows you how ingrained in our consciousness the the whole movie was, I think. The fact that it just it permeated in that way. I don't yeah. know. When I watched the movie after owning the soundtrack uh, in the late 90s, it never hit the same way again because I was so much more familiar with all of the music Yes, that particular scenes, and it was really obvious that a lot of those scenes, their impact was hugely aided by the soundtrack. So the soundtrack's immense. Yes. Everything I felt was not just what was on screen, it was also what I was hearing as well, and just the overall way it was making me feel. So that when I got massively familiar with the soundtrack, it changed the way I felt about the movie. It didn't I didn't experience it in the same way. Not saying it was worse or better, but it's just different. And it's only this weekend that I watched it again, having not sat down to watch the movie for ages, and it must have been like pre pre-lockdown, pre uh, pre-pandemic that I last watched it it had the same impact it did like way back. I was amazed at how much I felt this time I watched the movie yeah. just the other day. It it does still get a big reaction on rewatches. I mean, not just me. I'm talking about other people that I know as well. I have big memories actually of being, I guess, 14, I would imagine, or f- maybe 15. And someone brought it in on VHS at school. And then uh, at lunchtime, I remember there was like some TV hanging around or whatever, and they whacked it on. And it started with like five, six, seven people sat around watching it, kids. And by the end of it, I mean, you had the whole classroom was just full and everybody was just glued to it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to say if there was like 50, 60 kids in there watching this thing, just all crowded around like this, uh, this one TV that was like on a stand or whatever. And uh, I remember there were even people in the hallway, like looking in. Do you know what I mean? Like, Amazing. oh my god, it was it was just it just kind of showed you that even at that early stage, that the nostalgia for this movie was actually real. And yes, it may have been a commercial bomb or whatever at the cinema, but people still loved it. And it, it was, you know, you had people in that classroom. You know, literally when when. Um, you know, punches were being thrown or whatever, like in the Prime and Megatron fight, you know, whooping and hollering and things like that. And it was just, it was right there for everybody. When would that have been? Something like 1996? I guess so, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, that I think is 
probably a point where up until then people of our generation will have not spoken or thought about Transformers the movie for quite some time and it was almost like being in a society surrounded by people who had had this similar experience to you but nobody was talking about it and I was pretty sure that no one else was into Transformers I wasn't even buying them in 1996 but that was my first year of sixth form and I remember I was um kind of like trying to start a band with with a friend of mine and I just said to him one day out loud, I think I just said, bar weep, gra na weep, ninny bong. Just, it was in my head. <laughs> and um, and he said, don't you say bar weep, gra na weep, ninny bong to me. I was the one who's going to say that. I love Transformers. <laughs> and it's just this moment of, oh my goodness, you know what that means. It's the universal it's, greeting. Yeah, it's part of your childhood. That yeah. moment has stayed with me because it's almost like he felt ownership of it. And I was like, no, you can't say that. Don't say that. That's oh, my thing. And yeah. I was like, you know, and that would have been exactly when people would have started to realize it's cool to still like this yeah i know exactly what you mean i have had this conversation with multiple people i've met over the years that um you know they maybe they don't know when when you meet them or whatever that you you know that you're into transformers and actually happen to collect them and whatever and like you get chatting and suddenly maybe you're talking about films films is quite a, a thing that i talk about quite a lot anyway i have found that whenever this movie inevitably comes up in conversation with people god liam 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 he's a film wanker no, I'm not a <laughs> film wanker. <actually. laughs> film 2023 with 60 Norman over there. <laughs> if, I, if I was a film wanker, do you think I'd be sat here discussing Transformers the movie? Yes. Honestly? Oh, here he goes again. Look at him looking down his nose. That's exactly what a film wanker Hardly. would say. No, right. But yeah, I, I've had it several times where people that I've met or spoken to, it's quite clear that they have that, as you said, that sense of ownership of this film. And actually, from their perspective, there's no way that you could either love it or know as much about it as they do or quote exactly it as much that. as they do exactly or whatever. That. And I'm always like, they're going, no, no, I, I actually know it really well. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And and it's it's I've had it so many times, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's funny. He's Willem Dafoe in that quote, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Something of a Transformers the movie fan myself. <laughs> Uh, I remember when I moved schools in 1996, I got this VHS because one of the new friends I made at school, he gave it me as a gift because I let him play on the PlayStation. Because mm. back it's when the PlayStation was new, so he'd never played on one. But uh, he really wanted to have a go, so he, he's like, "I'll let you have this VHS with Transformers the movie for the PlayStation." So that was how I got the VHS again, and then watched it hundreds of thousands of times, right. almost nightly for like ten years. I, f- <laughs> I feel like that's when this movement began. And you know what? I was actually very surprised as I think maybe 16, 17, 18 year old to find out that this film had been a, a flop yeah. at the cinema. Cause in my yeah, mind, this was. was like beyond my wildest imagination. This was as big to the world as it had been to me, especially at this moment in time when you were starting to discover that it meant something to other people too. Well, I actually just to go back to that VHS. I actually sent it back to him last year because he'd messaged me asking about it. Cause it's something that his grandma had given him, but that he's not like a big Transformers fan, but even this movie to him was something really special. Mm-hmm. I think it was to a lot of people, honestly. And that, that is why it is weird. And I agree with you, Maz. It's weird to hear that it is a financial non-success because there's so much love for it, honestly. And, it, and it, even um, amongst people that are not, I think we should clarify, not into Transformers now. And that's a lot of the people that I'm talking about. You know, they don't collect the toys. They're not still into the franchise. And, and often these are people that are not at all fussed about the Michael Bay movies as mm. well, you know, now. Like they, they would look at it and be like, oh no, I'm not into all of that, but I love that original film. And I think there's a lot of that kind of sentiment as it's well. The emotion, yeah. emotional touchstone for so many people. And yeah. it would have been watched on video and stuff, but it's it's everything that happens in this is what makes it so special. Like the death of Optimus Prime is something that takes something that 
and transcends what it was, if that makes sense. So yeah. I don't think Transformers would have lasted or been as popular as it is now if this hadn't happened. Yeah, you, you've said that before, and I 100% yeah. agree with you, because I think that actually that death scene, and in a way, the way that it happens, you know, the fact that it's so somber yeah. and the fact that they linger on that moment as well for, for an extended period, and they really make it very definitive of like, oh, he's dead, and yeah. you see his body and all of that. It was just like... In a way, it goes far beyond stuff that came after it, like The Lion King and things like yeah. that, which was fairly brutal, but actually quite subtle compared to yeah. this. Yeah, and it followed Optimus's most heroic moment ever. Yeah, it, with the it music really sunk as in. well. Yeah. Again, the music yeah. that carries so much emotional weight of that scene. A lot, it? a lot of people will tell you about the soundtrack or the score, more specifically. You know, the uh, the, the Vince DiCola score that they cannot hear that Death of Optimus Prime score. Without, That's actually on the soundtrack you know, as yeah, well. Yeah, the, yeah. the death it's is incredible. actually it's track three on the soundtrack, I think. Yeah, I've got the extended soundtrack mm. these days, which has got they did um there was a re-release. I forget exactly how it came about, um, but two they discs. Did, yeah. It was the two disc one, yeah, that has all of the score on it, and it's just mind blowing. Some of it, I'd really like to have score. that. I really would oh, love to have it. It's incredible. It's well worth picking up if you can find it. It's from a good few years back now, but it was an incredible project. It's just one of those fundamental Transformers fan things that I don't have. I mean, it's probably it's the same thing. Like I don't, and I, I never even considered getting the Haslab Unicron. But like, I watching this movie again this weekend, I, I thought to myself, I wonder if this would have turned out differently had I watched this movie just a little bit before they'd announced it. Again. Probably, probably. Because I, I look at it and think, how how can I never own that now? I know I won't, yeah. but it's just like it's a miss. You know, I'm looking at Unicron now as we're sat talking about this, and that's why I think I very often have it in planet mode, is because it just reminds me of all of that opening five minutes or whatever of this film. And and that actually that first five minutes, you know, firstly you've got the gong in the UK version. Yeah, you know, the yeah. so. bong. You know, the the dude in the is he in pants with the with swinging his his Steady. <laughs> what movie have you? What did you take Transformers over? Well, no, this is a different film. I'm talking about something else. We'll come back to Transformers. No, he's swinging his big stick at the at the gong. It's not he? getting any better. <laughs> Six, sure. Six has got the uh, late night Channel Five movie recorded yeah. over there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Why don't we talk about the um, the look and feel of the movie and, and, okay. and the, the aesthetic? Yeah, the your your first the gong. no past the past the gong, <laughs> past the gong. I don't think I can get past it. So that music that that starts this movie, yeah, Unicron's theme, it's unforgettable, isn't it? It's just amazing. Uh, it, there's something about the way the movie starts, and it's the it's the tones of the start of that track where it's it, it's before the doom 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 and it's before that kicks in it's the sort of synthy tone that that starts it and you've got these kind of blurry colors of this yeah. sort of galaxy off in the distance or whatever and you don't know what's going on and then wham it's like unicron's there and it it sets it up in this way of like there's no real exposition or anything at this point you know in the uk version you've got the narration and all of that which i think is frankly essential for this film like i can't imagine it without yeah. but that hasn't even started yet and that whole opening scene just sets the tone for this film because it's such a bold way no recognizable characters right no recognizable setting or right. scene or anything yeah. or feel 
Not even a recognisable yeah, feel. Not, not even a recognisable feel. It's completely alien in every single way to but anything gorgeous. you know about Transformers. But amazing and gorgeous, but also jaw-dropping. And I, and I do think even today, that scene and the scenes of Unicron dis- destroying that planet, Lithone... Robot children! Did that not just stay with you oh, forever? Oh, the, the, the detail, the, the animation in that scene is everything's lit up it's beautiful there's something yeah. going on even when you see windows you can see stuff happening in the background it's yeah. like they have that shopping mall and stuff and you're like it's kind of crazy but it's cool because there's so much going on yeah. and yeah. it's insane like if you look at the era that is what we 86 so you mm. look at even anime at this time like it's always held up like oh it's just very much like japanese anime at the time but it's not really because no. we hadn't started getting this kind of anime up until around this time because i think this is the same year as robotech the movie which is Mac- Matt Cross was before it, but it doesn't look as good as this. What do you remember? Love, yes, that was that's, yeah. yeah, that's is that 84 or 85? It might be it's one of those two. I but think it's 85 because yeah. it featured the toys which came out in 85, like the Strike Valkyrie, I think. And yeah. just yeah, uh, anyone who's into robots should watch that movie, it's yeah. pretty fantastic. It is. But the animation, this is like, you can tell it's evolved. It's moved on. And I imagine yes. all of the animators at this time were probably all working on similar projects, knew yeah. each other. Because you're still two years out from stuff like Akira, which is held up as like the definitive yes. 80s animates. And so this is before that. And the animation, I can't fathom why you get people to go, oh, it's not great. And they look at the original like, it's incredible. I can never understand that. I do not know where that criticism comes from because yeah. this is, uh, it's, it's basically. beautiful. Yeah, it takes your imagination and sticks it in a furnace yeah. is yeah. what that um, animation does. I think that what's always unfortunate is that people really focus on the mistakes in the yeah. animation, the animation errors. And yes, there are some obvious ones and there are some throughout the film. Like every film. Yeah, Never. like every film, like every film. And it's it doesn't really matter. There are one or two that are really hard to ignore, like the, the colour of Rumble and Frenzy and stuff like that that's, that's so in your face that it's like, yeah, okay. But, man, the quality of the animation is just breathtaking and and again as you said it's never shown off better than that initial scene yeah and and all of the surrounding buildings or the planets yeah. or the cities like you said the detail where, where you can just hit pause i mean come on it how was it just two years ago when it was either u60 or, or graham who just hit pause on the cybertron destruction scene and we just sat there and all looked at all of these decepticons who were leaving we were scrambling. Yeah, we see. So, and we just had so much fun with that, didn't we? Like, who's yeah, that guy? Yeah. What's that? Look at that I, guy. I was, I was amazed. Honestly, it's the it's the bit just where where Shockwave says uh, scramble, scramble, scramble. We're under attack. And uh, you, <laughs> has you he, see, has he got Scottish? Yeah, <laughs> certainly, yeah. He, he was a vampire. <laughs> scramble, lad. Scramble. He said scramble, and then he said, uh, "There's there's been a murder. There's been a <laughs> rapsy <laughs> Shockwave." <laughs> <laughs> There's been a murder. Scramble. <laughs> Rapsy Shockwave. Thundercracker is Cracker the Detective, eh? Right. Piggy Coltrane. <laughs> Thundercracker. Oh, my God. There's something in that. There's some yeah. gold in there. I tell you. But, yeah, that scene, if you pause it, you're right. And there were uh, designs of robots I'd just never seen because it's a split-second thing. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, you blink and you miss it. But it's when you slow this film down and you actually see the little in-between moments, there's a lot going on there. And it's all designed to to trick your eye, you know, because it's so fast-paced and everything. And and your eye kind of fills in the blanks in many ways. Um, but it, incredible stuff going on in the background of this film. 
and the lighting as well on those scenes like oh. it's so underrated until you realize what it's doing like the shadowing and the different colors used and everything it's spectacular it's utterly spectacular i was watching a, a yeah. like a featurette of the film and they were talking about restoring it and they were like but they were astonished to find that there were things that the animation was done in a way that it was almost future-proofed because it was stuff you wouldn't have seen on film at the time but it's actually stuff you would see now that would only show up now, like with the shadowing and the way they done the colours and stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. I just think the level of detail on stuff like that, like so Lithone, the planet at the start, when you're seeing it from the distance, you know, and you're kind of in the atmosphere or whatever, just the, the level of detail on, on the surface, and it's the same with Cybertron as well. This was just unprecedented uh, for us at, at this point, yeah. you know, kind of coming off two seasons of the cartoon and whatever. Uh, not that we'd seen it all, but hey, and, uh, and as you say, I, I have very vivid memories of the the light sources in this. So, like the the sort of light in Unicron's more, mm. or like even even mm. on some of the Lithonians, you know, like the little kind of teal bits that they've got on their shoulders yeah, yeah. and things like that. And uh, just as everything's flying through Unicron's mouth, all the little electricity bits and stuff like that. It's God, just the sound as well. Yeah. yeah. The, the glasses the tink- tinkling on the tray oh. that, that they're taking to the lab. The, the way the music goes with the glasses tinkling as well, like it's all quite jovial and happy, then it starts yeah. to change, yes. but really fast. But like I was thinking about, you know, like uh, Star Wars, where you get the Death Star turns up and it blows up a planet. Hmm. And you're like, it's horrifying, but because you don't really see much, yeah. it's not the same. Whereas this you're actually experiencing it from ground level you're yes. there watching them being sucked up and as a kid and you need to remind people that that's what who this movie was targeted at not us it was us as kids not as now not adults in the same way movies are then it was very little kids and seeing something like that graphically seeing living beings lots of screaming lots Great. Of yeah agony and screaming like and... you're saying about the child that was like really like whoa yeah it's it's really something honestly so it's uh it's up there really if it wasn't animated with stuff like the start of Terminator 2, you know, with like all the kind of post-apocalyptic, yeah. uh, you know, destruction and things like that. It, it's a really it's... quick way to establish the gravity of the threat, isn't it? And yeah. how, without having to do any real character building, it's just it's a thing that eats planets. Yep, I'm in. <laughs> Wasn't it mad, though, that they recognised it, that someone named Unicron at the beginning? I, I remember even from very early on thinking, what, was he visited before? You know, like, is he from the ancient so, stories? Yeah. or So, or so notorious, just, you know, yeah. his, his name precedes him. I think, I think that's it, doesn't it, isn't it? It's sort of, that line, I think, establishes as well that he is a terrifying threat, that he's a force, that there's more it's to it. It's world building, right yeah. there. He doesn't just come out of nowhere, it's a galactic-wide threat. And I think mm. that, them not knowing about it, it's like, obviously, you look at the Transformers, they have no idea what's going on, but then they're all scattered across the universe, aren't they? Engaged in a war, oblivious. Whereas other races, well, I suppose, would have outposts around the universe. They'd be exploring. They'd be aware of something and probably knowing it's, there's nothing they can do, but hmm. probably not aware it's going to come for them. Like a Krypton, isn't it? Like at the beginning of Superman, how all the scientists ignore all the warnings and they're like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. It won't happen to us, except for that one guy. And it's probably a similar situation here. Like people have said, this is happening, that won't happen to us, we're fine. I think actually what always strikes me about this film is how little it offers you in terms of explanation for that kind of stuff because it it clearly feels that it doesn't need to. Uh, And, uh, you know, I mean, Unicron's origin is not at all part of this film. And in fact, his link to Transformers, if indeed there is one, is not part of this film. And, you know, the Quintessons are not explained. They're just there. And uh, all, all of this kind of stuff. It's not until season three that those you know, lines are dotted and whatever, and you get all the stuff with the Quintessons and Primacron. And mm, yeah, I'm actually, really yeah, the, the, the explanation in season three for where Unicron 
comes from, you know, that he was built by this tiny little being. It's never felt satisfactory to no. me. Yeah. Um, I think it's way better uh, living in your imagination and yes. being something you don't know about and you want to know, but you don't. I Especially where he starts off in the yeah. flares and fires of a sun, you know, it's that yeah. perfect. He's he's of the universe. I, I agree completely. In a way, like because obviously this film actually does work in both continuities, whether it's comic or cartoon, so it can fit into both. There was a Marvel Comics adaptation of this, which is hilarious if you've never read it in many ways. But uh, well, yeah. we can talk about that maybe as a mini-sode more than anything. But uh, it is really worth a read. But by and large, this does sort of fit into to comic continuity as well, although it's very complicated. I won't go on about it now. But actually, I think in some ways you're right. Unicron works best in... This is going to sound a little bit pretentious, but almost the same way that they talked about like the Joker in The Dark Knight. You know, like Nolan talked yeah. very much about it as like he doesn't need an origin. He's he's just sort of turns up, does his thing, and then he just like cuts through the movie almost. And it's the same with with Unicron in yeah. a way. You know, he's literally the Jaws of this movie, isn't he? He yeah. you know comes in, chomps everything, but Jaws is terrifying when you don't know where he is or what he's doing. Yeah. Is it's just in the water and you roughly no he's around but and he's going to do something but it's that threat and mystery like if they had an origin story for jaws you'd be like oh it's a freaking shark no one wants that there's something in that actually because you know one thing that i've heard people always quibble about is you know the bit later where unicron turns up and it's uh is at the moon bases and uh and jazz says um where'd that come uh, from where'd that come from and people are always like, how did you not see it? Or was it not on scans? Or did you not see Unicron on some sort of radar? But I think in between that and the uh, you know the, the opening scene, it's fairly clear that actually he can get very close without but, any kind of early warning or anything. It's, it's a giant robot planet that turns into a, a giant robot. You'd assume he'd have the technology to you know obscure himself and things like this. If he's a planet moving about trying to consume other planets, yeah. it's probably one of the first thing he needs, isn't it? <laughs> to remain hidden. True. So I just assumed, I always took that as given, even as a kid. I just assumed that's what it was. Yeah. Did either of you ever read uh, the Foundation novels by Asimov? No. No, don't believe so. Well, that had a sort of like a villain in it called the Mule. And uh, I remember reading that as as a youngster. And I always felt like that was a villain that whose origin was also not really explained. It was more a bit like his existence was inevitable. And, and a little bit like in a, in a universe with transforming robots, it just felt like a villain like this, his existence it was inevitable in the universe. Yeah. And that's yeah. good enough. And that was good enough as a kid. I agree. Me, certainly. Yeah. And I really do think that it is, it's, you know, if you're going to have a film that's, you know, beyond your wildest imagination, what could be a more representative of that than this bad guy is just the ultimate, yeah. incredible, unimaginable force of evil and it works on that level for me. Yeah, I love yeah. that he's introduced as as the main problem, yeah. but then so much of the movie is just Autobots and Decepticons trying to slaughter each other, and then it's like, oh yeah, that guy, you know, he yeah. turns up at the moon bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a very clear and ever present threat because they kind of keep coming back to him, and yeah. he's always there. But actually, for a large part of the film. In some ways, the Autobots and the Decepticons don't take him seriously enough. But I've always thought that was part of the movie. Part of the idea is the reason they don't see him is because they're so obviously engrossed in their own conflict. Because he keeps saying, isn't it? That's all they're focused on. And then then the movie is the same. He turns up as a threat. They're aware of him. But they become, again, so consumed in their own battles. Mm. that That's what takes precedent. And then that's how Unicron then just strolls up at the end. And they're still not unified, are they? 
Yeah. I just assume that's what it was. It's this the story of this film is the Autobots and Septicons being so consumed by each other that they ignore everything else that's happening. <laughs> I think that's exactly it. And mm. you know, there's some other great lines in the film that really kind of play into all of this. Oh, there are some great and, lines uh, in the film, are there? Oh, there are <laughs> some amazing bits of dialogue. One or sure. 75. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not get quoting too early because we'll, we'll talk about dialogue as a, as a wider topic later. But I, I always think the one line that always hits me, never fails to hit me in regards to Unicron, is towards the end where they approach Cybertron again, you know, all the Autobots. And uh, and Hot Rod just says, Cup doesn't, and Hot this, Rod, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Doesn't this remind you of anything, Cup? Nope never seen anything like this before and it yeah. always hits me that line of, of just again this just unimaginable level of threat and this is a man who uh who's seen petro rabbits uh, he has seen petro rabbits yeah it's the battle of alpha nine or whatever it is <laughs> yeah there were a lot of casualties that day and that ikiak king chomping and stopping down the mountain there I wonder go. if they'd have uh, inverted polarities. Maybe that would work. <laughs> Maybe that would help. This is quickly going to descend into triple takeover reads the script. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken us 50 yeah. minutes, okay? Credit where it's due. <laughs> We're just going to reenact the film now. We'll start assigning voice parts. I could, and I could. That could be Patreon content right there. I mean, look, this is a film I quote in my daily life. Like someone in my house who has not oh, seen yeah. this movie says to me, um, are you going to do that? And I'd be like, not today, Galvatron. And it's just yeah, yeah. part of my everyday yeah. speaking. How often do we say to each other, get on with the ceremony? Yes! Like, <laughs> all the time. Not today, Galvatron is a big one for me as well. I also sometimes come out with, uh, will do, Spike. No, oh shit, what are we going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> Ever present. Now, all we need is a little energon and a lot of luck. More than you imagine, Optimus Prime. We've mentioned that this movie ushered in a whole group of new Transformers. And they weren't just Transformers that looked the same as the ones who you'd been watching for two years or the toys that you've bought. So let's talk a little bit about the design of, of the new characters. We've talked about Lithone a little bit and how different they looked. And you know, obviously Unicron is a, is a planet. But what about when we start getting introduced to people like Hot Rod and Cup? Now, blur. Same. Absolutely the same because they look so different. Really different. Much more... Round. Or, or round, organic, I was going to say, in their, in their way. Much more kind of human elements to, to the design. But all of this, wasn't it? It was the kind of floroderiness of it all. Yeah. Floroderry, just kind of putting in all of that. His incredible brain. And, I, I mean, if, I don't know, if people listening have never seen them, it's really worth looking up some of the early concept cool. art. Scourge, this, especially. This yeah. The Unicron is, yeah, is mind-blowing. And some of the early concepts and things. And I just think it serves this movie well. It's not very Transformers in its way, like what it was at the time, but it serves this movie well that they almost tore it all up and started afresh with this new vision. And uh, it's weird, but it definitely builds the world considerably. Yeah, I mean, look how long it took to get representative toys of the characters. Such were the designs that they weren't very Transformers-y up to that point. Well, of course, the big thing here is that Previously, it had always been toys first, animation second, whereas this very much started with the designs for the movie, and then the, the toys were almost kind of being backfilled, weren't they, as as they were going. And it's why you see, because the, as well, so many of these characters, Hot Rod is a great example of a character that went through at least three or four major revisions that we know about, I'm sure many more behind the scenes. And, you know, of course, there are earlier versions of this script as well that have come mm. to light since that have... Uh, different descriptions of the characters or different versions of them uh, as well and so you know clearly the toys were being worked on but often from an earlier version of uh, of the designs 
and that's why you see you know Galvatron not looking like his his final on-screen persona things like that and uh it's fascinating to me all of that yeah you're absolutely right about the different designs uh for me it was just really jarring because like you saw Galvatron and they're all so curvy it's a really different aesthetic and it was the change from recognizable vehicles to something different all in one sweep I don't know how you guys felt like for me just seeing yeah, that, that was in... weird i couldn't figure out what cup was at all like <laughs> nah. that, that was a difficult one for me to digest and yet hot rod was immediately like yep on board with that you know <laughs> cyclonus yep on board with that and uh and then facial hair on transformers was um yeah, i mean i know we had alpha Trion in the series but i'd never seen that episode as a kid you know i just went straight from desertion of the dinobots and megatron's master plan to to this so seeing Scourge and Rekgar and that, and also all of these characters were introduced. I mean, talk about an astonishing voice acting cast. Oh. Uh. As soon as these people are introduced, the voice gets you. Yeah. Like, okay, Orson Welles aside, Lionel Stando, who does Cup's voice, when you first see Cup, that voice has gravel and it's the, got... The gravel, yeah. It's like, whoa. It's, and Magnus's voice, Robert Stack, you know, I'd watched From Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, yeah, yeah, same. So it's like, whoa. You know, one of was of an age to appreciate the voice. And obviously years later, I, I figured out that, you know, who Judd Nelson is and, and why that was so significant as, as Hot Rod. But And Leonard Nimoy? Yeah. Galvatron? Who? Uh, Galvatron's... <laughs> <laughs> Idol. Never yeah, Eric Idle as well is just yes. incredible, yeah. Leonard Nimoy's voice in this I know people love Frank Welker, obviously, and, yes. and Frank, let's be clear: Frank Welker does an amazing uh, Megatron, absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. The, there is though something about Nimoy's voice as Galvatron, specifically in this movie, that just haunts me to this day. It's yeah. just like nothing I've ever heard. Honestly, it's just so wonderful. Megatron's almost more of a not a comical character, but he's more of a classic sort of cartoon villain, isn't he? Yeah. Whereas I think when Nimoy's Galvatron is almost a little bit more sinister. The yes. way he talks, his voice just has that edge to it where he feels instantly more of a threat where as Meg- Megatron is just a very typical cartoony villain. It's a great voice, don't get me yeah. wrong, but it's so different to what he does it, there. It works for making them different. I never, yeah. now I can appreciate, and like, don't get me, I, this is going to sound bad and I feel bad saying it because I, I think Welker is incredible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's like yeah. one of the best voice actors out there. Like you can't find better voice acting talent than Frank Welker. But the it was always a hard adjustment going back to season three with mm. the Galvatron voice for that yeah. than after, you know, Nimoy in the film. That was always that jarred more. In many ways I found season three more jarring than the leap from season two to, to the movie, I think. The voice acting is a great way of conveying how Galvatron in the movie feels way more considered and every action he's doing is very deliberate and planned out. Whereas Welker's Gal- it is Welker as Galvatron in season three, isn't yep. it? Yeah, it is, yeah. It's like a very completely crazy Galvatron, isn't it? Yeah, he, yes. Obviously, he'd lost a plot through being slapped in lava for however long he's been there. He's been dipped in that. But it comes out in the voice acting, the way it's done, it both it really separates them, whereas mm. this one feels very much like a real smart villain. Well, that's what kind of makes the movie so special as well. It's yeah. like the very best versions of these characters yes. in this yeah. moment in time, almost like at their peak, you know, and Hot Rod is the same, and Magnus is the same. You know, um, they've been super developed beyond this point. But that snapshot is—it's almost like seeing an athlete in their peak years, you know, or just seeing them at their very best. And and th- yeah. those voice actors really, uh, really brought that to them. 
like the personality they brought to them, I think really helped um, yeah. sell the different designs as well, to me at least. I, I completely agree with, with everything you're saying. The level of credibility that some of these lines of dialogue are given in this film just elevates them. The dialogue is good anyway, I think, generally, actually. But I think the, it's great, man. Honestly, you know, I, I yeah. think it really stands up. And it doesn't, I, I agree. It doesn't make me cringe or, or hurt no. in any way. I, I love the lines in this movie. I, I agree. Yeah. There, are, there are no points where I cringe in this film, I don't think. I, I'm honestly trying to think of what one. What about the, the junkie on dance? Sometimes gets me close. Yeah, you know? yeah it's a little bit. But it's close. backed Wheelie. by a tremendous song. Yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I, I it's so much I love fun. The, the junkie on stuff. I think the junkie on stuff is weird enough and out there enough to work i yeah, think just it's... the dance i mean it's just right you know the, the dance okay I, I love the junkie ones i thought they were brilliant i remember really disliking them as a kid when oh, yeah? when i first watched the movie because they were just in the way you know right. it's like no 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 you're getting in the way of the story now who are this lot cyclonus was here a second ago you just wanted <laughs> more cyclonus <laughs> magnus galvatron these guys they need to fix that shuttle can you lot just Help, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how confused was I to get Retgar as a toy that year? I can tell you it was very confused. Right. Trust you to like the character that's only got one line of dialogue in the whole film. What, Cyclonus? <laughs> yeah. Does he even have a line? Well, it's confusing because I always think the of... The gut you know, me that, line, that's him, isn't the, it? The gut, the gut me line, yeah. You want me to gut Ultra Magnus? No, but... it's the sweep, man, because the sweep pulls up and his head elevates out. It is, but it's, it's the yeah. Cyclonus. And I Really? It's yeah, it's actually, it's actually his voice actor as well. It's oh, him well, Roger Carmel. Because it. it looks like it's obviously because uh, like his head yeah. pops up and it's as if he's having a conversation, but it turns out it's not. It is Cyclonus because yeah, it's, it's in the script. Cyclonus. It's scripted as well. It's in the script that it's Cyclonus. Yeah, that's interesting because also Galvatron is piloting Cyclonus yeah. and shooting. It makes no sense that they would then separate yeah. those two. Like, oh, do you want me to just let go of my joystick, mate? Do you want me to do it? it? It's, it's just... one of many, many, many yeah. confusing moments in this yeah. film. But yeah, of yeah. like, you know, along with all the, the you know, who is Cyclonus really um, and all again, of that. Again, watching you know. that this weekend, there is no doubt in my mind no. that it's Bombshell. None it's whatsoever. Bombshell. The camera then focuses on that dude yeah. <laughs> who yeah. just turned from Bombshell into Cyclonus. The Armada thing is confusing. That's like, that's its whole, you know, but yeah. there's... It's clearly something that they animated. It's there. I it's never the took it as the and... character. I don't get people who do. I always just assume when he said Armada, if there was more of them. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. And there would be more. Same. Yeah. In the same yeah. way, there are about eight thousand sweeps throughout the throughout the movie. In the you just never see them for whatever reason. You know, <laughs> that's it's exactly just... yeah. So, but it's, it, what I mean is, in real terms, it's clearly something that they animated, and Orson Welles did the the voice for and whatever, and then they just changed their mind, I guess, and just didn't yeah. animate it in the rest of the film. So, hey ho. It's probably one of those things that was trimmed out it's, it's you're just meant to infer he's there in the background somewhere yeah with the troops well we are going to do again i feel like mm. i'm pimping all the minisodes and everything constantly but we are going to yeah. do a minisode on like cutscenes. yeah and it's important to do stuff. it though because people will uh, look if you listen to film podcasts or, or like popular culture podcasts yeah. i imagine or, or even tv series you wait for the moment where they do your thing and anytime, like, if anyone has focused on Transformers the movie, you're always going to be like, oh, but they left this out and they left that out. And I do hope that people don't listen to this thinking this is the definitive Transformers the movie it could podcast be. episode uh, by Transformers people. But no, there's tons of stuff we're not going to be able to cover in the time of this episode. No, um, there's, so, I mean, there's so much. It's a pub chat on Transformers the movie, yeah. as, far, as far as I'm concerned. But This is it. And I, that. I, I think yeah. for that reason, you know, that's why we've planned out some topics that we just know we're not going to be able to do justice as part of this discussion. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll spin off into them at another time. So, Your bargaining posture is highly dubious, but very well.
just on the topic of voice actors, we can't not talk about the very, very well-known role of one Orson Welles in this movie. <laughs> Incredible. You know, it, yeah. Isn't it mad that after a career like that, the greatest role. he turns up playing a planet in Transformers the movie <laughs> yeah. as his last role so soon before his passing? Really soon after. Uh, I mean, there was always the rumours, wasn't there, that he'd actually died before finishing. Yeah, and then Leonard Nimoy had finished his lines or something Yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was it was Sue Blue confirmed that uh, who, who was of course played RC mm-hmm. was confirmed that that wasn't the the case that he did actually do all of his own work and everything. So, uh, but yeah, it's just mad actually when you think about who he was and what he'd done and you know the the fact that this was his final role. It, it yeah. is insane. He had so much weight to it. Like every line Unicron has that little reverb they have on his voice as well. Like it makes it really deep. It just yeah. sounds really slow and just book menacing but I, I find it brilliant that this movie is one of those movies that people go oh you know it's a terrible movie but i like it and you'd reply normally in this sort of instance for any of these films you go oh god it's not supposed to be citizen kane and i find it hilarious that when you think about <laughs> this movie awesome wells it's actually in the film and it's yeah, his yeah, final yeah. movie well supposedly the the synthesizer <laughs> thing was because he was so weak he, he wasn't yeah. in good health at all by the by the t- point of recording this and uh that a lot of his dialogue was not unusable but not it didn't sound great i believe and and so they added this kind of layers of synth and everything to to kind of firstly boost it but also make it sound more more ready to go isn't it hasn't it just really stuck with you from childhood that when he's first talking to megatron it's just oh. almost like a quiet whisper first and then when he gets yeah. close enough the boom in the voice starts yeah as well through space i always find that really impactful yeah. speaking. and megatron ends up floating back doesn't he as he's talking it's the way megatron's sort of claws along, oh yeah yeah uh, as he's trying to get his grip and that. those light graphics with the yeah. sparks and stuff yeah the the boom in the voice i've never heard anything like it in any other film yeah no. supported by the graphics of the of the way the stream of light comes out of um that aperture depending on how angry he is or yeah. you can almost tell how fast the particles are moving like when when that's animated along with the voice it all just works together beautifully the, the sound and the visuals in this movie the way they work together is, is yes. glorious yeah 100% agree. Of course, Wells famously did not like this movie. I think it's fair to say he was not keen. Why would you in his position in, in 1986? Yeah. Why, sure. why would you rate it the way people do now? No, 100%. Well, he, yeah, it's, it was never going to be his thing, was it? I mean, but uh, yeah, he, he, there's that quote, isn't there, that he uh, spent the day playing a, a planet where, yeah. you know, about a series where all the robots do horrible things to each other or whatever. To sell um, toys. Yeah, 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 exactly. So now you mentioned Susan Blue, and we absolutely have to talk about RC. So again, as a child, I would never have seen a female Transformer because I hadn't seen War Dawn, I hadn't seen those episodes. I just seen three VHSs of Transformers, and then you have RC, a female Transformer in the movie, and it was just one more thing that the movie was doing to my understanding of the of this world that had never been done before. You know, transforming planet all these cities in space, other races, and then RC as well. How did that land with you when you first saw it? Do you remember? Yeah, I quite liked RC from the from the off. The only thing I found weird about RC was that she was the only one. It just, yeah. I don't know, it, I think it makes her stand out more than she needs to, if you know what I mean. It's very instantly yeah. obvious that she's the only female Transformer there in a sea of male coded ones. But yeah. I thought, I liked her. I think the only thing I, I 
wasn't really struck on was again the fact that she didn't look like an earth that was that kind of vibe i was still struggling mm-hmm. at that point like new characters why they all look so different and she looks very much like princess leia and that was yeah. really obvious even then oh yeah. really oh, of course yeah if you're familiar with star wars at the time yeah it never ever struck me as out of place or, or yeah. weird or anything i don't think i just accepted that yeah you know that there are some new autobots and and this one's female and that's that but i think uh, like you had not seen the the episodes on cybertron previously i think a lot of this film actually when you think about it if you'd seen the first two seasons of the cartoon in its entirety and seen some of the cybertron set episodes and some of the weirder bits with mm-hmm. like vector sigma and alpha trion and his facial hair and you know kind of some of the more mystical elements going on there Probably a lot of the movie lands a little bit easier if you're more familiar with some of those scenes, I would guess. Whereas if all you've seen is like the really Earth-based, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the, these are these are you know robots that turn into realistic-looking cars, and that's what Transformers is and this bother is gonna, humans, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. This and the, and oh no, there's a fight at the local dam. Oh, who's going to get the energy on? It, it's it's a big leap from that. Whereas if you've seen some of the more kind Let's of not sci-fi, diminish those struggles, okay. Sure. People, people got hurt. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Often, Spike, you know, tripping over things or whatever. But uh... <laughs> it's those yellow wellies, <laughs> right? Yeah. He punched Rumble and still had a hand. I know. Never made sense that. that so. I can still hear the clang. <laughs> yeah, but the, the lad also tussled with dinosaurs. You know, it's just. <laughs> But then suddenly, you know, 20 years later, everyone's getting shot and killed. So who knows? But uh, it, I think it's fair to say that that would have been a, a slightly less big leap than if you've never seen some of those sort of mm, more yeah. fantastical episodes. But I don't know. As far as RC goes, it never, never fazed me. And to be honest, I think that what's ironic in a way is that back then in the 80s, you know, especially with the, you know, the female Transformers that you see on Cybertron in earlier episodes from season one, uh, from season two, and then RC as well, to, to a degree. I like that they don't explain it or make a fuss of it or mm. anything. I think it's just, it is what it is. And what's funny now is that, you know, with RC specifically, is that various attempts, let's say, have been made to, quote unquote, explain her existence over the years. I don't think any of it's necessary. No. So, sod all of that. She just is there. Mm-hmm. She's a female Transformer live with it yeah just know. added to the wonder of the universe that yeah, they were presenting yeah. in the movie Why that was so much it? more elevated and escalated than the cartoons were but that is the thing isn't it everything has to be explained like we were saying there like people were talking about how did unicron just show up and it's like because they didn't see that these characters would might have somehow heard of unicron or something like that it's like it's not explaining the film it's like it's a universe of stories and this thing is yeah. happening at this moment this character just happens to be there she might have been there in all of the other stories. Mm. She must have just been, could have been somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of these guys. <laughs> I, I can't imagine any fictional attempt to tell the story of how a character like RC or any female Autobot came to be that would be as entertaining or enjoyable to, to listen to or read or whatever as just a new story about them having an mm. adventure. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, stop doing it, honestly. <laughs> you uh, her appearance there is no more strange than Wheelie being on the planet of junk with right. an Autobot badge and right. nobody having any idea who this guy is right. and him seemingly not 100%. knowing much about them either. 100%. She's definitely not the weirdest thing in that film by a long shot. So I, I, I just don't think it needs explaining yeah. in any way. No. And the thing is, you wouldn't have... I guess you don't need to explain them for being new, new Transformers or new characters because someone like Cup makes it really obvious that he's been around for centuries, millions and millions of years. 
you can tell he's old. So by association, the others have been around for ages. They they yeah. weren't just born, you know, and you know they're not children. But the reference to Princess Leia, I mean, certainly at the time, I would have had no concept of that whatsoever. But it was interesting uh, to be older and realize the very obvious parallels between Star Wars, and that's oh, yeah. something that loads of commentators on this movie in media have have brought to light. Even oh, the sound yeah. effects, the seventy sound effects are reused from the Star the, Wars. The films. lightsaber and all of that is is yeah yeah, and, and you're right, and the sound of it even, it's mm. it's got the same sound effect as the lightsaber, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's it's egregious. But I think even some of the uh, ships flying have the like the Millennium Falcon noise or something like that. It's you hear it, and you go, "Oh my god, it's that from Star Wars." There's quite a few little things like that mm. in the film. But yeah, there's sense. so many parallels, like the crawl at the start. If you are, oh yeah, in the countries that got the best version. <laughs> yeah, I just can't imagine the movie without that crawl. No, the maniacal Megatron. You know, oh, the, the, those words, the maniacal yeah. Megatron. I've it never is heard. The year pro- two thousand and five. Never heard pronunciation like that, honestly. Mm. But I can't imagine not having that crawl because, again, it fills the gap a little mm. bit between eighty-five and two thousand five, doesn't it? So yeah, and it also says secret staging grounds. How mm. cool is that as a phrase? Yeah. Secret staging grounds. As a kid i was like man whatever that is i want From that two of cybertron's <laughs> moves yeah it's yeah. amazing honestly uh, but i spoke to people online who will insist that the american one is better with the credits i was like nah. i don't need to see people's names popping up like superman 2 don't need that uh, no. the crawl that tells me what's going on mm. it's better at least it makes the jump into it i think a little bit easier it eases you into it more it sets the context a little bit for the mm. fact that the Autobots are in dire straits as well and that they're on the back foot. You yeah. know, that they they are... Because how do you know that otherwise? Particularly, like, you can sort of see... I know there's always an element of show, don't tell. I get all of that. But there's, it's not immediately obvious that the Autobots are actually not in a good place here and mm. that the, the Decepticons have conquered Cybertron. It's quite mm-hmm. big stuff. No, but it also it fleshes out the universe. Even if you did pick up that straight away, it just adds a little bit of flavour. It adds a little bit more to the universe and expands it a bit. I think I think it's great, and I cannot imagine the film without it. I did try watching one of the more recent versions. You know, I bought the because I buy every version that comes out, and it's always the American version. And I'm like, no, it, it's hard. Even though yeah, once you get past yeah. that bit, it should be the same film. I still feel like that's missing. And then I know the bit at the end isn't going to be there. So, hilariously, we're one hour and 12 minutes in and we're basically discussing the start of the movie. Oh, yeah. Still. It's it's inevitable, though, isn't it? Honestly. <laughs> yeah. And there's still so much more to say. I mean, I was going to just quickly pick up on RC again and just say that, you know, that this was a sort of funny origin, actually, for her, talking about how she came to be, not so much in story, but in reality. Because, uh, you know, that evidently Hasbro had said they did not want a female Transformer. It was like a big no-no. It's very and, of the uh, time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because it's a, a quote-unquote boys' toy line. You know, no mm. girls could enjoy this because, of course, girls like different toys, and we all know that, don't we? It's obvious science that boys and girls <laughs> can't like the same things. <laughs> yeah. uh, and if there's a girl in it, it had to be pink, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. this was the thing. So, you know, evidently, writer, the writer Ron Friedman. Hmm. I think you have to be careful what you sort of say about this because he, he has sort of pushed a lot for you know inclusion of of like he pushed for the inclusion of rc he was very adamant that he wanted this female character in the script and you know that it it should be important and whatever else uh i think there is an argument to say that it's still that's progressive in a sense but still in the context of the 80s do you know (laughs) because there's still like you say she's still pink she's still very maternal yes yeah plays the maternal role is a little bit of a damsel in distress at times and whatever else and so it's sort of progressive but still sort of a bit 
not. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's a weird one. Uh, but yeah, and that's why no toy of her was made at the time as well. Apparently, was just because Hasbro were like, "Nope, that's crazy." It's it's just it's mind boggling because she's such a major character in the film as well. Yeah, yeah, from start to finish, pretty much. But it's just another way that it shows you that the powers that be, I think, just underestimated what this film was going to mean to people. Ultimately, yeah, she, she has like some of the coolest moments, like when she pops the little visor down by pressing the button, uh, got the little guns. She's yeah. Amazing character. Like one of my favourite parts of the film is when she's late for the shuttle and the way that music's picking up as she jumps in, you know, as they like pull her up. Mm-hmm. And then Springer just has that line where he goes, believe it or not, this is the fun part. And like, the music's just like crazy. Like this is yeah, yeah, the best yeah. film I've ever seen. That is an incredible moment, definitely. Believe it or not, this is the fun part. The Transformers will return after these messages. Okay, well, it's that time for the part of the pod where we talk about our sponsor for the evening, and that is tfsource.com. You can check out now for all your Transformers and third-party and Diaclone needs, Mads. Hmm, uh, if indeed you do have some, there you go. Uh, so what we're going to do, as ever, is we're each going to take a quick look at what TFSource have got in stock, up for pre-order right now, all of that kind of stuff, and just what's caught our eye, really. So, uh, Maz, do you want to kick us off? Well, um, maybe not something I would necessarily buy myself, but I uh, had my eye was drawn to the Transformers Kuro Karakuri Flame Toys Jazz. I'm pretty sure you guys have seen this thing already. I have, indeed. Yeah. Mirage or Jazz? (laughs) (laughs) He's got a visor. (laughs) Right. Okay. Looks pretty jazzy. It's very, very jazz to me. I mean, the four, the martini-style logo and the martini-style stripes, the headlights. The crutch Yeah. I mean, just the overall shape. Yeah, it's it's pretty jazz to me. I mean, it doesn't have to be a Porsche 935 Turbo to be jazz. It's got loads of other signature elements of jazz. It's got a very specific aesthetic as well, you know, really, really thin waist and, yeah, like you said, the big crotch thrust and that really strong heroic pose and proportions, but still jazz. I think it looks great. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I'm I'm really jazzed for it. I like the style of it. I would just wish, you know, we got more jazzes like this. It's a very, uh, oh, it's just very stylized, isn't it? I like that he's got a missile launcher. It looks cool with it as well. I really like some of the little highlights on it, like the red on the head and things like that. Just like mm. little little coloured highlights and on the cro- on the sort of hip flaps and that. I think it looks uh, looks pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's, it would draw your eyes something fierce, wouldn't it, on your desk? Yeah, you have to paint these yourself, though, right? I'm out. No, no, <laughs> not this one. Is this not the very expensive one? Oh, I don't know. I, I I'm I've been completely in the dark about flame toys generally. Like I, my understanding was that some of them needed painting. No, so. There are different tiers, so you can get the cheaper model kits, which you build yourself, but they are generally already in the correct colours. But people do paint them to make them look better, as people do with model kits and stuff. They wouldn't look better if I was doing that, I can assure (laughs) you. Yeah, but I don't think they need painting. It's just a thing you can, optional thing you can do if you so wish. They are supposed to be assembled as toys. I think that's basically it. Do you know what I really, really love about it? This is a non-transforming toy, right? Still has a butt flap. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how the heels on the back look like the back lights of a Porsche 911 or 935. How cool is that? Yeah, that is really cool. What does it say on the doors? I can't see it big Cybertron. enough. Uh, oh, does it? Where the Martini logo is? No, oh, is it Autobot? It's Autobot, sorry. Oh, is it? Okay, all right, cool. I just couldn't read the text. Oh, and the other one it says Cybertron. I think one says Autobot, the other one says Cybertron. Oh, uh, like the Japanese version of Autobot, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, I don't know. But look, it looks nice. I totally agree with you. It's got a lot of accessories as well. It's hugely posable. It can do the movie jazz pose from 2007 from the poster. You remember the really, really good kneel that it does with the hand on the floor? He's, he's doing that pose in one of the promo images. 
Nice. You know, can I just say I love the little off centre four on the chest. I just really like that as a yeah, it's cool. cool. As a different badge. touch, yeah, that's great. It's a fantastic looking figure. It looks amazing. I think to to me, just to sort of you know my final thoughts on it, it just uh, what you said is that it doesn't need to be a Porsche to be mm. jazz, and I think this is such a great example of it. Actually, one of my favourite jazz is is the the Binaltech Mazda mold, and I love that thing. And right. this is just another great example of like how you. I know a lot of people are really like in this thing at the moment of like. It should be jazz because it's a Porsche and all of that because of Rise of the Beast. But it just shows that the car mode is not what makes the bot ultimately. No. no. And in fact, this probably has more very obvious jazz cues, G1 jazz cues in the design and colors than a lot of jazz toys have. Certainly more than the Rise of the Beast, yeah. you know, Mirage. I, As, think, I, I sure. cannot get over those uh, Porsche 911 lights on, on the back of his heels. Those are amazing. I love what they've done with the shins, just the way it's that signature look, but just change just stylize it looks just really nice the whole yeah, it's, great. It's, it's the g1 feet isn't it the shins yeah yeah <laughs> it really is you, you're actually kind of enabling me on this thing just as well it's sort of stunning i mean i think the only um complaint i have about it is just how thrust the crotch is and there's no way to sort of correct that to mm. make it yeah. less pronounced because otherwise it's a stunning design like you say it's just got loads of elements it's been made to look like it transforms as well which i wish i really like i don't need it to transform i think it'd just be really lovely to look at that's always been one of the elements that i've loved about you know the three zero stuff and we've talked about this before in our last controversial opinions episode and before that i'm sure but i, I always love that feel of like it can transform even though it doesn't and i think this is a great example of that i love the options to have the doors on the arms as well as the mm. shoulders Yep. I just think that's really nice to have the choice. I'd love to have a fiddle with this, honestly. Really would. Yeah. Anything else caught your eye, guys? Well, just quickly, I noticed that, uh, you know, TF Source have got the old uh, Oculamax uh, Assaultus Bruticus combiner up for apparently a set of five toys now, which you can get as a bundle. The price is something to contend with, of course, but uh, I would say it's it's a very, very very good set this i've been fiddling with the generation 2 version and uh showing some pictures of it just this last couple of weeks and i love it absolutely love it well i'm just looking in the sort of the they seem to have like a lot of vintage toys because they've got a load of old batman figures in there they've got some uh, legends of batman toys which i think is from 1994 it's all like sealed carded stuff this was a toy line from Kenner, which will probably turn up as a yeah. miniseries someday because right. I had a lot of these. Yeah, and as you've seen, following that Batman miniseries, people have gone and bought those toys. So yes, yeah, Tatman. That's, that's it. But this, they've got the uh, oh, gosh, uh... <laughs> but but they've got the uh, the Azrael Batman here, but in red. So I suppose it would be the Azrael Tatman, wouldn't it? Because we call him as <laughs> we call him as is like known as Azbats for short. So I suppose it'd be Aztats. Aztats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. brilliant. <laughs> It's the Uncanny Valley. Yes. Right, well, that's going to do it for our sponsor segment, so do check them out, tfsource.com, for all your Transformers and third-party needs. Ah, I would have waited an eternity for this. We now return to the Transformers. So back again to discussing RC. Uh, on the topic of new characters introduced, uh, there were a bunch of characters introduced into the movie who weren't specifically part of the main cast. We had fresh villainous characters like Quintessons and Shaktacons. And of course, we had the Junkions as well, which we briefly mentioned. So this was just adding to the the newness of it. And in the case of a lot of these things, there weren't going to be toys to support a, a large majority of these. So they were going to live exclusively in the movie as plot devices and scene setting, world building, 
that sort of thing. So uh, what was your reaction to like Quintessons? Because uh, basically they're like robotic aliens, not Transformers, but they had Transformers in Sharktacons and Alicons as well. My, my first reaction was I wasn't keen at the start. Shocker. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was... Liam doesn't like change. <laughs> no. Well, I think they just... Where's Huffer? <laughs> yeah. Well, they just stood out and it was like I had no frame of reference for them. It, it just felt really odd that there was this floating egg with multiple faces. Actually, I quite like that. But uh, the other ones, it was... It's the same with the Sharktacons and the Junkions in that a lot of them looked so much like Transformers. It felt weird to me that... Not that we hadn't seen them, but that nobody seemed to know who they were. But they all felt like Transformers, if, if you know what I mean. Like we are saying about Wheelie just being around with an Autobot logo, but you know, apparently not being one of the gang or someone that anybody recognises. I know it's a wide world of characters, but it just jarred with me straight away. It just felt like, how they all seem so close together. How would, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird setup for sure. Uh, I don't know, it never really... The, the Quintessons never jarred with me. I don't think any of this really jarred with me in a way. I just mm. sort of accepted it at face value. But in some ways, they were never my favourite part of the film. Like, I always preferred the stuff with Autobot City and, and all yeah. of that. That was always my kind of favourite bit. And then I, I love it still... But the the kind of the second act stuff with like the Quintesson planet and the underwater squid is just it's amazing, but it's yes. not it's not out and out Transformers in a weird way, yeah. is it? It's it's no, sort of... but but it's uniquely Transformers the movie, which right, is, yeah. exactly, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. See yeah, that, yeah. I always think that the squid feels like something that could have been in an earlier season, but very simplified. And the shot cons, I loved it. It was just I think it was that organic Quintesson mix, you know, the, yeah. the judge with the tentacles and stuff like that. I liked them. It wasn't that I didn't like them as such. It was just more like it right. just bothered me. I think. I think it was at this point. It was still quite jarring. All the changes. It was like what? Is, what? It's, it was quite a lot to take in. Yeah, I get that. It's also really strange for me as well. You know how much time is spent with these sorts of elements in this film, and there are no toys of them. I mean, when you think that yeah. this is a movie that very clearly was designed to sell toys. I mean, they usher in a new era, a new wave of product in the most unsubtle fashion that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like, you know, the the whole like charge of the light brigade thing, you know, have you heard this? That initially they were gonna yeah. have all of the eighty four and eighty five cast just charge to their death basically and be like I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was apparently discussed at one stage. There's um it's been talked about as this charge of the light brigade idea of like Gosh. they were gonna have all of the cast basically run for victory as it were and just get mown down. Just like they're done. Like that's it, kids. Off Would there have been like an interval at that moment as well, and then you just get the toy adverts? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. hot rod here. They're just it. handing out flyers in the cinema. And stuff, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's it's funny then that you know the the whole purpose of the film is to shift toys, and yet actually so much of the time of the story is spent with characters and, and in elements that don't have toys. I mean, RC is an obvious example. Unicron is an obvious example that they did try and make one. Uh, which we'll talk about separately. And, uh, you know, but the Quintessons and things as well is like the prime example of that. And yeah, there was yeah. a Sharktacon toy, but just that. Not that we would have known in the UK. No, we didn't even get it. No, France did. But yeah, and yes, like you say about the Quintessons, they're not exactly forgettable either. They're so memorable. As a, as a child watching a court scene like that, which was carrying out executions in the, in the toy movie, was was a big deal. It was unforgettable. Yeah. And of course, I didn't quite get the irony of uh, guilty or innocent, innocent, feed him to the Sharktacons. And I didn't get that irony at the time. It was just confusing. 
I think the first time I watched it. But also some of the best lines in the movie are just in that oh, sequence. You, no one yeah. will ever convince me that a line like I have nothing but contempt for this core is it's not wicked. an outright <laughs> banger that would be yeah. you know, it, it would get uh, a, a moment in one of the best scripts or whatever. It's just great. And yeah. the way it's delivered is yeah. brilliant as well. We have got to get a new travel agent. I yeah. love that still today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even little throwaway things like, uh, uh, you know, when Cup's talking about what it reminds me of, and, uh, and he goes, every place reminds you of someplace else. <laughs> yeah. And I love Experience, little, lad. Yeah. Oh, the back it. and forth is just brilliant. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. brilliant. But like even Kranix's lines when they're talking to him in the little jail cell. Yes. They're like really quite foreboding and solemn, but it's a really nicely done little scene. Yeah. And it's what you're saying about these characters. They've, they are quite major parts and really memorable. They're not forgettable characters like Kranix and the Quinson no. judges, all of these, and the guards. They just and it's amazing they didn't get toys at all. Because they feel like they should have. Now you can help me out here. What on earth does Kranix say when he's being carried out of the cell? I'm the last of the what does he say? It's the last survivor of Lithone, isn't it? Something yeah, like that? I think he says he's the last survivor of Lithone, something like that. Yeah. Really? Okay, I'll have to go back yeah. and listen. Something I've similar. Like what that. he says. A, a lot of a lot of the dialogue particularly around the Lithonians, I think is is often misheard. The the opening line of Arbalist, look, it's Unicron. I hear that misquoted all the time. A lot of people think he says Orbalists or something like mm. that, or like they, they can never quite hear. It's because they have quite a garbled effect, though, on the voice yeah. of Lithonians. Yeah. They all do this very slight, almost like they're underwater. It's almost like a very slight sea spray style effect to their voice the way they talk so So what's interesting here and i think kind of putting some of these characters into context is that a lot of them uh kind of come from earlier versions of the scripts and uh like kranix is a great example because my understanding anyway is that he was originally conceived as being uh sort of like a rock transformer if you will and he was going to be called granix with a g uh believe it or not and then of course it all changed and the script changed and was rewritten. Can you can you see Kranix. the uh, the cogs working behind Liam's eyes to get a rock lord joke in somehow? Oh, you see yeah, the cogs moving in there to get that pun <laughs> no, in first. I, I actually wasn't going to say anything a uh, joke about the rock lords. I was going to say but the rock lords Gobot movie came out the same year, didn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was actually before. I think I'm sure it was earlier. Was it 86 or was it 85? I think it's 86. I think it's at the start of the year, though. Boxy Gobot's always getting it in was, there first. Yeah, it was a bit before. It was a bit <laughs> oh, before. See? That wasn't going to make a joke. You just didn't get there in time. <laughs> this obviously... I mean, look, I'm, you know, we're not going to talk about it too much tonight or whatever, but this this obviously, this early script came to light recently, didn't it? At TFN yeah. just last year, 2022. And uh, Chris McFeely uh, did a wonderful job at uh, kind of bringing some of this to life. And he's done... Uh, you know, if, if people know Chris. He's done the basics and commentary on the movie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. did That's the right. commentary on the yeah on the on the DVD, didn't he? On one version of the movie, yeah. Was it the DVD or the Blu-ray? Uh, I have the Blu-ray, which has got his uh, commentary on. But then I've also got the Region One version, which has got Paul Hitchens as commentary. Yeah, yeah on Paul, Paul did one. A lot of US fans as well. Paul did one. Yep. Wow, I, I think not that's that. the twenty-fifth anniversary one, possibly the thirtieth anniversary one. It's got the uh, lenticular cover. Ah. nice worth getting for that alone but yeah no chris is i mean very well known in the transformers fandom and uh he did a, a wonderful job at unearthing this early version of the script and 
it, you know, it's well worth it. We'll have to look it up and, and retweet it or whatever. Yes, yeah, you can thread. find it under Transformers Snakes as a Train. That was right. the working title. <laughs> Motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking train. That's what it should have been. That's what it should have Motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking train. But yeah, the, there are a lot of elements that are in the final product that start life in that early draft script. And it's fascinating, actually, to kind of... Uh, to see how it evolved and to kind of understand the changes between it. I mean, the, like characters like Cup are not in there, but there is a character called Tanker who is, turns into like an old tank, for example. I mean, the name makes sense. And But it's like a clearly like a proto-Cup. Um, but a lot of the stuff is the same. You know, Ultra Magnus is leading the Autobots and ends up with the Matrix. and all that, But the Matrix is like a little mini kind of ghost of Optimus Prime almost. It's, it's weird, not called the Matrix. Yeah. Unicron is in it but it's very different and but the the basic beats of the film are the same but f- the it's such a sort of massive messy sprawling script i mean it was described as being unfilmable how it was kind of unworkable but i think because it was such an epic script and sort of went into so much detail there were ideas and concepts that were introduced in that that then were kept and sort of morphed into what you see in the final product. And I think that's ultimately why some of it is so strange and so alien, but sort of isn't explained as such. That That is how most scripts go, though. Like, having worked on films and stuff in the past, like, you get so many revisions, but so many early scripts are like this, where, as a story, it works written down and the concepts are there. Right. But as a film, straight away, you look and go, wouldn't work, wouldn't work, this comes out, this changes... This character has to, there's too many of these characters that have to merge together to create something else. And that's just what happens here. It's just very, very normal. It's, I was reading something about a film that came out recently. And they were like, they filmed the script from start to finish. And it's so rare that happens. Like, it's almost unheard of mm. that it's it's just like that. Because it's just, films are changed as they go. Even animation, it's changed along the way. I think you can see a lot of that yeah. in the end product here. I mean, e- even where like Unicron's appearance shifts from one scene to mm. the next and things like that. You know, mm. th- there are clearly huge elements that changed. Uh, you know, there's the, again, we'll do a mini-sode on, on a lot of the deleted scenes and, and changes and things, definitely. But, you know, even silly things like where the sweeps are firing their lasers. Oh, yeah, Ultra quartering yeah. Ultra Magnus. Quartering, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is still in the comic, actually, the comic adaptation from Marvel. And you can see it in the film. You yeah. can see it as they yes. are going to get him. It was changed. You could really oh, see yeah. that that's exactly what's about to happen once you know. 100%. It was animated and then they, they had to change it and ultimately the result is different, you know? Yeah. And uh, a, a lot of it is quite obvious, but I think it's fascinating to see some of these early concepts. Uh, again, maybe we should mm-hmm. do more on it as a, as a mini-sode or in a separate discussion, but how some of these early concepts from that first draft of the script and how they kind of work in the fir- in the final version. Yeah, but they don't jar to me in the final movie. And I do wonder if that's just years and years of adoration of this movie speaking and heavy bias, but I would hate this movie without... No, sorry, let me rephrase that. I would hate for these scenes to have been left out of the movie. The whole court scene and uh, and Kranix and Lithone at the beginning and the Shark Tacons and especially the Quintessons, I think were great additions to to this movie's alien feel because they're supposed to be way out in space yeah. escaping from Earth and escaping from the Decepticons. Like, we, we just crash-landed on some bizarre-looking planet. And how about that for a bizarre-looking planet? When you're talking about aesthetics, it's not just a planet. It's just a twisty, mechanical mess with, with an amazing sort of ocean there that, that houses that scene with the squid. It's, it's not even just, a sphere, is it? Neither no, not even close. They're just like floating plates of stuff yeah yeah 
and that fantastic ship of theirs as well. It's oh, all, the corkscrew, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just so good. Yeah. yeah. Again, all of that, I think, is, you know, the floridariness of it all, isn't it? It's just incredible visuals. Yeah. The way they've pulled it together, this is a lot of times, like I say, this is what happened with films, is they take a lot of incoherent stuff and put it together and you get so, something that's so much better. Like, the way this film moves from start to finish is so easy to follow. It, yeah. It, this is one of the things that's really underrated about it, I think, is it never stops to pull yeah. you out. There's, Scene like, transitions are just yeah. coming at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like... Even, like even rewatching it recently, like I've seen it a million times. But one of the things that strikes struck me is how often scenes follow one. It doesn't then divert to some other plot line for like half an hour. Mm. It often like it'll be like all about cities here, then it will go to the next scene, which is still all about cities, something like that. But it's very coherent. I mean, I know people will after watching it hundred times will pull it apart and go, "Oh, that doesn't make sense," or "That's weird." But when you watch it once or even many times, it just it carries. There's nothing that makes you go stop and go that doesn't make sense 100% it's, jar it's at all. Yeah. a very streamlined movie actually in a way that a lot of movies are not that's yes what I wanted to say earlier exactly with the runtime yeah. that it has how quickly it gets through it oh man yeah. it, it's incredible sometimes when you're watching it and you see what runtime you're at and you think oh my god it's been like 25 minutes or something and how much has happened mm. but they they make the most of every line of dialogue every scene has its purpose for being there they don't dwell on anything and and you know there are probably a couple of moments where all right it could just stand to linger for like a second longer but it's fine like it just moves at a breakneck pace and it just carries you along with it it's really economical with groups of characters that was one thing that really stands out like it puts several groups in together but they're never i don't know i don't think any are underserved or lingered on too much it's just right like you they just group them off but they all work together in their own storylines and they all have enough yes to say and do without it ever being you know one gets too much focus or somebody is completely like there are quite a few characters that pop up and die for obvious but like the main cast to say how many there are like when you think about yeah. even just ultra magnus cup hot run all of these characters going off together into groups and you think like a lot of times films, like they do it in this film where they send them off into different places. So it would normally spawn different plot lines, but these are resolved really quickly. And it's not like one detracts from the other. It's like you go, oh God, I just want to get back to this other one. Hmm. Whilst this one is trying to pad it out. It never feels like that. It just feels like they've gone off and they're coming straight back together really quickly. 100% really agree. I have to go back to what Sixo said about you could do with lingering on some things longer. I mean, when Galvatron finds out that you know, the the Matrix has survived on Earth. Unicron tells him, this is like, Decepticons to Earth. <laughs> Spaceship shot, <laughs> Earth. <laughs> Do you know, I was so going to say, funny. that is that is my yeah. only bit, that is literally the only bit that jars for me yeah. in, in yep. basically the whole film. Because it's the, 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 obviously the speed with which he arrives at Earth as well. Yeah. Because it's like, you've got the one scene where, you know, he's, he's on Cybertron and, you know, then he says to Earth and then literally... 30 seconds later they're there and, and yeah. all right that might not be real time in the film and all of that fine but it's that is the only bit that when i watch it does jar for me is the to earth bit other than that fine do you not just think that is because it is a little kids film it's not trying to oh sure delve too deep just, into things. it really is funny just, now yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean obviously it's his old toys but like even when i watch that out i really like that because it's so different to what most films do now where they will linger and try and tell not too much of a story, but they'll focus on something else for a bit. And so I, I love that sudden just transition of to Earth, and then the music just suddenly like picks straight up, goes crazy, and it's like we're off. And we're like, I like that. It's just moving I'm on. I'm not talking about the timing. Yeah. It's just that two second shot of the ship. Yeah. Just going, That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like right in the middle of those two scenes, yeah, you could have just yeah. dropped that, and it would have been seamless. Yeah. I think it just has this 
wicked sense of agency that the way that moves it's like going <laughs> and then it's suddenly it's there too much it's wicked I think that is right though you could just yeah. not have this the shot of the ship flying through space <laughs> yeah. and it would be fine it would end with him saying to earth and then the next time you see them they've arrived at earth and that would yeah. somehow your mind would fill in the blanks yeah. you don't need it it's, there. A, it's, a, it's a very quick transition between it, it's the equivalent of hearing footsteps and the car starting and it driving off when you're not looking right. at it. it's one of those it's almost like they felt a need to tell you how it got there like <laughs> yeah. we're in the ship that flew <laughs> it is a, it's a, it's a weird, this way a weird yeah. transition <laughs> He went to the left. <laughs> it's the right, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's just the only bit in the whole film that always jars for me slightly. I, I can't yeah. explain it, but it's funny yeah. that you'd also picked up on it, Maz, I think. But uh, but every other bit, I think, is great. And, uh, and Liam, I totally agree with what you were saying about, uh, you know, kind of how they split off and stuff, because... I think a great example of that is Cup and Hot Rod, quite clearly, who have had their moments already in the script. But this film would not be what it would what it is if you didn't give those two characters time to kind of breathe together yeah. a little bit and, mm. and have the relationship that they do and to kind of spend that little bit of time together. And I think the fact that they crash land and, you know, Hot Rod is put in a position where he has to save Cup and has to, you know, Cup has to be vulnerable and all of that it, it all kind of works in the sense of the arc that they go on and everything i love yeah. the fact that the dinobots go with them but equally the dinobots don't need a, a lot you know but they get their one big scene in this film other mm. than stuff like you know the bit with unicron and that they get their their one kind of scene together that is brilliant and it, it's very efficient with how it does it all but it yeah. it works yeah. I, I really like the way they cut to hot rod saving cook really quickly because it follows not long after the Optimus Prime death, doesn't it, where Hot Rod's yeah. involved. So you don't get this long protracted thing of him doubting himself and then having his redemption moment at the end. It's almost like straight away they're like, no, he's actually a good guy. He's just very unlucky and unfortunate in those events. Yeah. And then they fix it up cut and then they just move on. I've heard it said before that the film, the one thing the film doesn't do enough is kind of focus on, uh, you know, Hot Rod uh, dwelling on the events of Optimus's death. I think it's there. It's it's implied in the scene where he says, forgive me. Yeah. And, and you know, it's in the death scene and everything as well. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think you would need more of like no. Maudlin Hot Rod. Do you know what I mean? Hanging around mm. than that. It, you see it in his actions and, and the, the way yeah. he takes responsibility. And I think actually I've always said that one of my favorite bits of the film is when he's back on junk, having led Cup and the Dinobots and everybody there. And all of them are saying, there's no hope. You know, we've mm. got no hope at all. And Hot Rod is the one who's like, no, we're not giving up. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think that's the, the yeah. breakout moment for that character. He's, he's taken on a leadership role by that yeah. point as well, hasn't he? Because he's, when he gets off the, uh, the Quintesson ship, he's the first one who goes over and does the universal greeting, isn't it? Yeah. It's very clear that he's moved forward as a character. Can we just give some credit to Judd Nelson's voice acting for Hot Rod? Yeah. Because in a lot yeah. of moments... He he really conveys a lot of character. Like when he's mocking Cup the first time for the universal greeting, the way he says it is like, "Are we grown? Are we mini bog?" You know, just that yeah. it's it's funny. But also when he's stuck uh, underwater and he's screaming out the names of the other people who are on the ship, it's just it's totally believable and it totally sets the scene correctly for the the panic that is ensuing at that moment, especially yeah. with the soundtrack as well. You know, um, oh. nothing's going to stand in our way. It's just when, it, when he uh, sounds like it's from Lifo with his cop, Gribbler, yes, anybody, yeah. yeah, I love that scene. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, like you said, when he steps out the shuttle onto the planet of junk, when he just turns around briefly and goes, what was that universal? Nope, don't worry, I've got it. It's just, it's mm. convincing dialogue. It's convincingly yeah. delivered. And and I love it. I love how well Hot Rod is is done in this movie, to be honest. Also, I love that. Uh, I think it's Wally Burr, who is, was the voice director. He was the director of the voice actors and stuff. And I think it, a lot of that is him getting them to talk in those that way and sorts a lot of those lines i think it's only Orson wells where maybe he didn't have so much to do but everybody else i believe he did a lot of talking to them and saying yeah. say it like this i need you to say it like this and talk it through really deeply well, it, it, it worked you know what i mean it hmm. absolutely incredible and I, I do agree i mean this is hot rod's film at the end of the day isn't it yeah. it's it's his movie it's the one where he kind of comes of age and whatever and uh, it really works in that context but as you say yeah. it's it's amazing to me that actually there are so many other characters introduced and developed throughout the course of this runtime. And yeah, I mean, you could spend more time with some of them, but you don't, you equally don't need to. No, and interspersed with the development and use of regular characters like Blaster and Perceptor in a way that is completely in keeping with the tone of the whole movie. Yeah, yeah 100%. It does a great way as well of telling you who those characters are, even with little bits of dialogue. Not not like the deep backstory, but just the way Cup talks, say, about his war stories. It's very obvious straight away, old soldier guy, that's veteran. Mm. Everyone sort of laughs at him. He's like the old man, like the granddad. Everyone goes, oh, you know, telling his war stories. But it's it's very good like that, all those characters. Same with Hot Rod. He's obviously the impetuous youth character, but not over the top of it. Ultra Magnus is the confused, unsure of himself bloke. It's it's very easily conveyed and quickly from, yeah. Just through the dialogue they have. Yeah, I don't. I don't see him as confused. I've just found him as finding himself. Not confused. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just out of out of place. I think it's just very much the wrong guy, wrong the right place, guy, wrong, the wrong time. Yeah. He's so decisive yeah. in the movie. Like the first time you see him, he's just directing everyone. You do this. You fix that. You go over there. Let's get this done. Okay. You mm. didn't manage to get them on the shuttle. Fine. You do it. You do this instead. And then just you know, did he have to detonate three quarters of the ship? You know, that was his yeah. decision in the moment. Bam. This is what we're gonna do. I think that's the point, though, isn't it? A lot of his decisions are very blah, 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 but they're not the right ones. They're just him in the moment, almost panicking and just going, just do this. Just like going, do this, do that. You know, it's not necessarily that he's got much choice or time to think, but he's obviously under a lot of pressure and it's showing, it's cracking a bit. What would you have done differently as Magnus? (laughs) There's a question. Go on, Liam. What would you have done differently if you were in charge? I wouldn't have let them detonate two thirds of the ship. I'll say that. <laughs> what would you have done instead? Would you have let them detonate four quarters of the ship? <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm not a career soldier. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's the thing. Like you look, it's like what did yeah. Magnus really do wrong? You no. Know? And then he ensured everyone else's safety when he wanted to um, unleash the yeah. power of the Matrix. They were never going to beat the Decepticons on on junk. No. To be fair, yeah, he he doesn't really do a lot wrong. He's just on the no. back foot a lot of the time, isn't he? So, yeah. and he, and he does get them through, and he does ultimately sacrifice himself instead of getting the rest of his team killed and whatever. So he has become unfairly stuck with the "I can't deal with this now" line, hasn't he? It's just like, yeah, it's become yeah, his yeah. whole personality to some degree. But that's exactly what you do. You wouldn't dwell on yeah. that. You just save the people under your immediate command. That's exactly what you would do. And, and he's also, let's be fair, in quite a stressful situation at the time. Yeah. Like I think, you know, a little bit of slack should be cut. But it's it's uh, only the same as like the way that Hot Rod is forever marred by some people as having killed Optimus Prime, isn't it? No, his like... actions were completely stupid, though. Like yeah. well, That's the bit that doesn't stand up to scrutiny for me. Like, it was necessary for the for the story to go the way it did, but it 
it's never really made sense to me why he would interfere like that. Like, there's so many other things he could have done. Just, I don't want to be that fan. But well, he's just... supposed to be reckless, isn't he? It's the reckless yeah. youth diving in. I mean, very literally diving in. I think it was, it's a very literal way of displaying that. But by the same token, and well, there are, shine. <laughs> there are, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of people that are like, isn't it Cup's fault for preventing Hot Rod from taking part, if you like? But actually, you know, if they'd all like ganged up on Megatron, maybe they could have taken him down. Uh, you know more. I don't know. It's it's all it all is what it is. Ultimately, it's part of the script, isn't it? That these characters need to go through in order to kind of get to where they're going. But. <laughs> Have you seen that um, spoof uh, redo of that scene where Megatron reaches for the gun and Prime just shoots him? <laughs> <It's like>, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> movie's over. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's it's just it's just a way to convey a rash decision. Like mm. any movie, so many movies have this where you go, God, it's a stupid decision. It's like, yeah. well, yes, because it was written to be deliberately. A stupid decision. That's why he's done it. It's, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And it fits with the character. Yeah. And and he would, you know, go on to make many, many more stupid decisions mm. after that. And as you were saying with Magnus, he's doing it in the moment, isn't he? Mm. He's under pressure. He's just doing something off the bat. Like how many times do you make a you do something stupid? You go, why did I do that in the first place? It, and get my boss killed. It's <laughs> rare. We've all been there. So Taylor's all his time. <laughs> are you saying to me that the stakes at your workplace are as high as they are in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's why he crafts his breakfasts the way he does right. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just picturing Maz now you know because he's got all these snow covered cars he's having to get the Autobot shuttle to work and that's why right. <laughs> yeah detonating three quarters of it <laughs> don't you think we have better things to do now than tell old stories like what uh, but it's also worth talking about you know as much as the characters that are in this movie about maybe some of the characters that aren't because I don't know about you, but this mm. was definitely a big part of my experience with this film about some of the characters yeah. that are actually missing or kind of not absent, or characters that are in the voice credits that are yeah. even yeah. in the film he itself. Is. Yeah. Inferno. Yeah. Inferno. Yeah. Well, apparently Inferno is in the... I, I read this, actually. Apparently he was in the voice credits because he was due to have... Uh, it's Walker Edmund, Edmiston, isn't it? It was, was due to have a, a line in the script. Uh, apparently his sole line was going to be good luck Magnus, uh, yeah. which it was uh, in, in one of the Autobot city scenes, but it was cut. So, and then mm. he it was kept in the credits, but Inferno doesn't appear. I think Inferno, is it Inferno or Grapple that you do see in the Grapple. Battle of Autobot City? It's yeah, Grapple, Grapple, isn't it? Grapple. Yeah. Very briefly. He's got the gun, hasn't he? You just sort yeah. of see him yeah. firing. But it's you can tell when the movie is uh, was being produced, can't you? Because it's a lot of the season two Autobot yeah. cars that are missing. I know they were supposed to have a scene, but it's weird because obviously the Conans are there, but then the yeah. Combiners aren't there. It's, the Combiners is the one, isn't it? The yeah. Combiners is, is the Omega bit Supreme. that people always mention. Yeah. Omega yeah. Supreme, yeah. All of those. The Ark, obviously. The Ark is not there. Obviously because they were at Autobot City, but there's never any references to why. Yeah. There's so many characters like that, really big characters, yeah, but what does it do for Devastator though? This is the movie that really yeah. turns Devastator into the threat that we know him as now. He's always portrayed as like the Decepticon's big threat, but in like season one and two, he's almost become like a sort of a, not a joke, but he's quite an easy character to take apart, isn't he? He, he, he sort of had that at the start with Heavy Metal War, yeah. didn't he, of like being scary mm. and then it's really, this is his moment of like you know, yeah, yeah, and and it's the look of fear, isn't it, on Cup's face as he's like devastated. Yeah. You know, it's it really rings true. Yeah, that does so much work. That does it. Yep. Suddenly, turns his character into something else, like this huge, imposing threat that it, that he wasn't really. And it, yeah, yeah, I think in a Incredible. weird way, you know, it would have been cool to see Superion and Menasaur and those guys in this film, Omega Supreme. And and I know there's been is it IDW that have done a comic that explained where they were that they were all fighting in a different yeah you know, they were so all fighting at the arc 
they did their movie adaptation and they, ba- they just had a panel showing yeah. like tracks, uh, superior and Omega Supreme. They're all at the arc, so they're all I think off Megatron, yeah, Megatron had basically sent uh, detachment Decepticons to attack the arc at the same time to keep them busy. I just figured they're in a lift somewhere, you know, with the jolt, <laughs> with, the, with the jolt music going, charging, yeah, yeah, little underground car park somewhere. I don't know, but in a weird way, those big characters, the other combiners not being in the film, it makes Devastator more important. It makes him more imposing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really does. It's very memorable. I mean, imagine the what would the scale of this film be if you had, like, Bruticus, Defensor, Omega Supreme, yeah. all of these big guys. It would be too much in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd lose the stories of the smaller robots because it's just one large robot. But then Rumble and Frenzy deal with him quite well. <laughs> yeah. Astro train, don't they? It's like, yeah. Oh, that's all you needed to do, just wobble. It's because he, he couldn't even stand up in there. That's mm. why I really yeah. I just always found it quite incredible what they do there, like how he just has that scene. It's such a standout scene as well. Yeah. Just to say, wow, it's a threat. And it's what well, a rare time you really look at Trigger. Wow, it's quite scary. Like what he's yeah, yeah. implied to be able to do. I think it's what you were saying, it's really sort of emblematic of the, the time when this was made that yeah. Devastator was the big threat, you know, and it mm. sort of shows that actually it was you know, being yeah. written slightly earlier on and everything else. But And like like you said about really the cook line, you see it through his eyes and that's like a really important way to show how scary something is. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he has that scene where he rips open the walls, which is inc- like an incredible visual yeah. as all the bits of glass are crumbling and uh, the lights on the wall are going out. Absolutely love all of that. Uh, of course, uh, old Snarl is not in this as well. Well, well he, is, he is for a moment. Of, he's in briefly. a couple of yeah. scenes. Yeah, he appears is it three times, I think, isn't it? He's in the window, isn't he? You can see him through the window in the shot, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's the bit where they start uh, bombing the destroyed Autobot City as well, and, he's and there the Dinobots well, scatter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's very obviously in that scene. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It, it's just, again, it's sort of quite clear that this film was made in a certain way, isn't it? And the bits have sort of survived and... Just you can still see the remnants of that. Just assume he's off, just slightly off to the right or the left of whatever the Dinobots are doing. He's just out of shot. He's there. Yeah. You just the camera just is never quite on him. Yeah, like if you saw the film in uh, just slightly wider screen. It's I think it's the aspect <laughs> ratio. <that's> yeah. <laughs> wider screen. <laughs> yeah. Just can't quite see him. That's all. It's where Mirage was the whole time too. <laughs> I do. I do love though some of the the scenes in Autobot City where you get glimpses of some of those characters, the mm. the older crew. I do yeah. I do sometimes wish there was maybe a bit more of that. That's the only thing I'd say. Like yeah, again, yeah. we'll talk about deleted scenes more another time, but there's the very famous one of like a lot of the 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 crew, the old crew, with Magnus teaming up to fight Devastator and things like that. The, there's a guy actually on um Twitter who has uh, worked on some of these animated storyboards and things. And again, we will do a mini-sode on this, but it's worth giving him a shout-out. Uh, so if you check out on Twitter, at Artist Stan, uh, he's done some incredible like animatics and things and sort of pieced together some of the, the missing storyboards, and particularly this scene he's worked on quite a bit. And it really just adds a touch of what was going on you know because there must have been you know thousands of little moments that we don't see um and you know there's there's bits with some of the autobot cars and things you know yeah, turning up on magnus's trailer megatron and, killing mirage there's, there's things like that as well there's yeah. dirge being planted into the ground upside down by prime i remember that uh, that'd be my only thing is that i kind of wish that so, there was more of that well, of course we the, would say that wouldn't we, we, we would have taken an guys. hour of scenes like that wouldn't we yeah, for if, sure. If they, they wouldn't have advanced the plot in the slightest, but we would take it. I'm quite glad because then it means they didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> true. 
Yeah. It's like Shockwave, isn't it? That you know that yeah. Shockwave was supposed to die in the script. And then you see Unicron's hand crush Cybertron and supposedly that's when he dies. And he never appears ever again. But canonically, he's kind of still alive. Yeah, he's lingering. But um, you see the remnants of part of that scene, don't you? Is When Optimus Prime and Megatron first face off and they have to, yes. one shall stand, one shall fall. That's the bit where that would have taken place, isn't it? That's why they're inside. Yeah, that's the, the, the issue. Is that that weird corridor. Starts. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I love all of that, though, as well. I love all of those kind of the bits that kind of go into it that yeah. make it the final product that it is, even if they're missing. I think it's fascinating. I, I wonder if they had been inserted, whether the touch sequence would have been quite as great, because that obviously would have taken apart during that, wouldn't it? So you would have had those bits with the cars talking during that whole sequence when Prime is running people down. It would have been very different. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the touch as a soundtrack would have started quite what it did or not because yeah it would have it wouldn't have been about optimus in that moment yeah. it would have been about many That's more I mean. things going yeah. on to accommodate that scene and happening that would have had to have been a much extended scene wouldn't it and yeah bits happening in different places yeah you would have got more content but i think it's possible that it would have taken away from the focus of the story which at that point is optimus's last hurrah isn't it yeah speaking of the touch it's so uh emblematic of how catered to we are now with all of this Transformers material and product that we have, that there was a time when Dirk Diggler singing The Touch in Boogie Nights was a <laughs> moment where you're like, it's a connection to Transformers, the movie, this yeah, wonderful yeah. thing that happened in my life. But nowadays it just it wouldn't land or hit in the same way because we are so well catered for. But that period of time in the 90s when this was just in your memory and getting the soundtrack and all this stuff made it so almost a more magical period for this movie because yeah. it was such a special connection to to your youth and to Transformers. But now it's like, how, how which DVD will you buy? Like, which Blu-ray? Which yeah, yeah, it's more saturated. It, yeah, it's a real reference saturated. to something that we loved, wasn't it? Back then, yeah. those little references were really few and far between. They it was were more valuable, knowing. yeah. They were validation yeah. for this thing that you loved and, not, and nobody knew that you loved, but it was yeah. just that spark of nostalgia was starting to turn into something more proactive in your life. Yeah. The yeah. touch as well. Not written for the Transformers movie. It's written no, for Cobra. It was, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It does work perfectly in this, though. Either yeah. that or um, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> One of your uh, finest Twitter moments. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you had potential, lad. So, I mean, it's worth talking about then that Optimus Prime bit kind of leading up to his death. I know we've touched on it and everything, but uh, Maz, you can talk about Starscream's death a bit if you want as well. <laughs> they were both chilling to me, like the death parts, but um, they also both followed those characters' greatest moments of victory that they had been striving for the entire series up to that point. Yeah. Like o o Prime's existence to remove Megatron or to protect against Megatron, he'd done it finally. He'd he defeated Megatron, in in my opinion. And then Starscream had finally gotten rid of Megatron. And I'd wanted that the whole series. I was so <laughs> rooting for Starscream since day one. And you, uh, were the, finally... you were the one person rooting for Starscream. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's why I was able to find his toy in 1985, while like, all the other main characters had sold out. But yeah, so they'd had their moment. That was it. You know, they had achieved, but then immediately had it taken away from them. So it was, it was closure, but maybe just a little too severe for those guys but yeah. but prime's death was you know it was orchestrated in a way that you wouldn't you wouldn't change it now would you i well, know and again it's probably why this franchise lasted as long as it did is that one moment 
it's such a touchstone for so many people and an instant pop culture classic that yeah. without it I don't think it has the same effect. <laughs> Completely not the intention, but the original yeah. decision maker on that will probably even go, mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, told yeah. you it was the right thing to do. Have you heard about our Lord and Saviour, Rodimus Prime? You taught it. <laughs> Summer 1986. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a reason, isn't there, that Optimus gets popped off in pretty much every you know new iteration of Transformers fiction that there is out there because it's it's become the sort of archetype of of his story type storyline mm. hasn't it it's it's synonymous with the character and uh you know the fact that now you get films where he turns up dies and returns in the one film for example yeah. and uh or, or the one cartoon or whatever it is it, it's just it's become a sort of like Christ reference almost, hasn't it? It's it's yeah. whereas it it clearly wasn't intended in that way when this was written. You know, they weren't going to bring him back. The fact that they added in the line at the end in the UK version about yeah. Optimus will return that yeah, wasn't the part greatest of, it of them all. Optimus yeah. Prime will return. Will return. Yeah. So yeah. please don't send us any angry letters. Please. <laughs> yeah. Stop crying. You know, calm down, Liam's mum. <laughs> <laughs> have a box of toys <laughs> i was very upset and very stunned at the time but like I she wrote letters you know, you know what like if you look at people coming into the fandom, she wrote definitely through any other iteration of transformers the g1 you know younger people like just imagine like they can't quite comprehend the impact of optimus prime dying what that was like at the time because he dies in everything now so you know he's coming back it's already happened whereas that first time it was uncharted territory wasn't it mm-hmm. he wasn't supposed to come back and yeah. you didn't know well, yeah, that's the thing, is that it, it's easy now to think in context, mm. oh, well, he was back, you know, in season three and then back at the properly at the end of season three and whatever. Mm. Just imagine a world for a minute where that was not the plan, because it wasn't, yeah. you know. And it, I know we've talked a bit about Dark Awakening before, and it's not the subject for tonight, but they bring him back as this kind of zombie, you know, that's sort of half dead or whatever, mm. and then they blow him up in, like, the most ridiculously over-the-top fashion, and it really is a, like... He's actually dead now. Stop writing letters, yeah. please, because we, we got are done. you. Yeah. You had your Optimus Prime. Now leave us alone. Yeah. yeah, and even that wasn't good enough, and people still kept complaining. So they had to bring him back full time. And I, I just think that all of that is, as you say, uncharted territory is probably the right, right way to look at it. Because I don't think until that point there'd been this sort of phenomenon of kids, especially, almost dictating yeah. the course of a character like that. Hmm. Yeah, there's a weight to it. It's like the uh, if you had never watched Star Wars before, the first time you hear that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, it's like a shocking moment and everything stops. I remember stopped. that moment. Yeah, but it's a shock, isn't it? And yes. That's what this is like. But when you see him die now, it's not like that. Cause it's like, oh, he's coming back anyway, isn't he? It's, it's too big. It's not like a sea change. Like here, when he died as well, you knew you could feel it was a change for the franchise because of all the new characters. Yep. It was clear we were moving on, whereas now it's just part of a short-term plot line. But you're very aware of that from the start. So yeah, such a profound moment. Like it really is one of those iconic pop culture moments, which has transcended the franchise. I, I always felt that there was, as much as you say, his ultimate victory, Maz. I always felt there was a sadness to Prime's death beyond just him dying, because Megatron ultimately survived. Yes. you know, and, and and all right, yes, he was reborn and still the same dude, effectively. And and it's the bit where um, Galvatron is gloating about having yeah. killed him that always sort of stuck with me, I think, because it was this feeling of like, actually his greatest nemesis lived on and an Optimus is dead, you know? And it's uh, mm-hmm. that, that bit more than anything got me, I think. 
I, f- I find it quite interesting that Galvatron refers to Megatron as almost like a different character, doesn't he? When he goes, I'll crush you as Megatron crush Prime to Ultra mm-hmm. Magnus. And it's almost like Megatron is dead and Galvatron yes. is something yeah. different. Yeah. Well, there's been interpretations of both of both ways, yeah. haven't they? That it's the same character, or that Galvatron is a completely new personality that, and it's just the sort of husk of Megatron, if you like. But yeah. I mean, to be fair, Unicron does say, "I'll give you a new body." So, yeah, I don't know. You could take it both ways. Yeah, and also the consistency in the "I belong to nobody" from before and yeah. after the reformat, yeah. and kind of ties it together as the same person's yeah. character journey. And the bit with Starscream, of course, you know, here's a hint and all of that <laughs> yeah, is, is yeah. very much, this that's is not true. someone that is no. uh, messing around anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, this is someone that's like, I'm done with you now. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and of course, it's a pity you Autobots die so easily. What yeah. a line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always think of them as the same character. To me, yeah. it reads yeah. that way. Um, but I, I can understand why some people, you know, kind of go a different way with it or whatever. Mm. So, uh, And Starscream's death, in the same way, always struck me as sad and shocking. Yeah, yeah. Because, I think so. again, because he got what he wanted and then for like five minutes. Then he was removed. Yeah. <laughs> it is a real horrified look on his face as it's happening as well. It's like a real shock, isn't it? And horror. Yeah, it completely deserved, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Dawning realization. That's <laughs> yeah. what he's got, isn't it? Yeah. I think the fact that it's permanent as well, like, all right, they bring him back as a ghost. Yes. Which is a bit silly, but that, that, in my opinion, is one of the more silly elements of, of G1. Do you know what I mean? Like, just don't do that. Just don't bring it back as a ghost. No, I'm it's sorry. Kind of I, funny, com- but... I completely disagree. I, I simply would not change that. I think they only really got rid of him because they wanted to stop using Chris Latter, wasn't it? Because he was causing them so many problems to keep bailing him out of jail to get him into recording sessions. So that's why Starscream was written out. Is that right? I hadn't heard that, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading the thing from one of the writers. And they said, we used to have to go and bail him out of jail, drive him to the what to call it, to the recording studio. Mm. And I think he was just becoming such a such a problem because I think at that time he had a lot of drug problems, if I remember correctly. And so, yeah, so they just decided to write him out. But obviously he was so popular, they then brought him back. Yeah. <laughs> just can't see um, a version of the movie where he survives, though. No. Just no version yeah. of that uh, works for me. It, it makes total sense that he dies. And mm. uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great moment. And it, in a way, it's sort of a, it, it's the last real shocking moment of the movie not of the you know in terms of character deaths and things like that isn't it because all the other deaths precede that really uh, i guess you've got ultra magnus and things like that but he comes back straight away mm-hmm. so it's not kind of on the same level um i don't know there was just a finality to starscream's death for me that that hit home maybe <laughs> more than prime because prime ultimately does come back is it because he crumbles into dust it's very well, visual yeah, as well isn't it it's horrific i can only imagine how that would have been dealing with that as a child you know seeing probably what was my favorite character in the cartoon at the time meeting that end i don't remember exactly how i felt but i think at that point after seeing prime die it kind of resigned to this sort of thing i don't think i even registered that ironhide prowl and these guys had been slaughtered at the start of the movie it's not those that i remember it is these two deaths that really stood out i can't remember how i felt but i can imagine i would have been super disappointed that he didn't win because that was what I'd always wanted. <laughs> right. It, it's it's quite neatly done, though, because you have Megatron, who's finally, you know, killed Optimus, and it's taken away from him as he's stripped out of the shuttle. And then moments later, Starscream, who's finally won as well, has it then taken away from him. Hmm. And, yeah, his victory is quite an interesting way. The shuttle deaths as well is just that, uh, I think, that moment where it was like, oh, my God, what is happening? So early on, too. Yeah. The it's fire brutal. breath. 
yeah, yeah. It, it's the prowl it's the prowl's face that is the one yeah. that gets everybody that's more than ironhide even yeah, that's yeah. the one i think prowl's face is uh, the bit where he's just smoke coming out of his eyes and his face and everything yeah mm. it's a really interesting thing with the deaths in the film is almost everybody dies in a different way like Optimus prime turns gray starscream turns to ash they you know there's it's not consistent is it like obviously no. prowl's prowl's mouth sets on fire for some reason it's just whatever is the most horrific thing in the moment. <laughs> That's literally it. Magnus is quartered. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you see Wheeljack and Windcharger, they, they're still in full colour. <laughs> just <Yeah>. dead. <laughs> yeah, the, the, Windcharger, the Windcharger and Wheeljack thing, in some ways is sort of almost more shocking because they don't even get given uh, a, a moment of glory or anything like that. No. That's literally the only time they appear in this film and they are a corpse. But they do get a moment of mourning. With RC, that yeah. one moment. There's, there's a lot of little impactful stuff like this in this film, where little moments, like we're saying with the Devastator thing, where it's conveyed really neatly like that, I think, like emotionally. Yeah, I think that's a very clever moment because, again, there's a line of dialogue that's running over the top of it, of Springer talking, mm. but they still take that beat to just have her be sad in that moment. And yeah, it yeah. says everything about what's going on. Yeah, it really does, yeah. I found the acid deaths more graphic than anything oh, yeah those yeah. were really i remembered those very clearly the screams yeah yeah oh yeah that too yeah yeah and the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a re- you've done that very well <laughs> incredible that was excellent that was really quite impressive just having a mini of you doing sound effects <laughs> yeah, <in the> <laughs> exactly i really want you to recreate some more sound effects now amazing but that scene was really um stressful wasn't it with daniel and and spike and the acid pit it's like moments it's it's legitimate i know people hate on daniel as a character but that scene is one of my favorite yeah it's amazing it's a really amazing scene with the music and everything when he thinks uh he's responsible for spike dying that moment he looks away it's the 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 dialogue of spice voice spike's voice actor when he's spice boy spice spice boy i think he did say spice boy (laughs) there didn't i yeah (laughs) I think I did say Spice Boy. Oh, Spice Boy. Uh, that's sort of undermined my point now. But I was going to say the moment when uh, when he shouts hurry. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, yeah. It's just incredible vocal performance, honestly. I think so. Yeah. It's a nice switch as well from the way he's trying to explain to Daniel how to do something. But it's not like you would sort of see normally in things like this. They talk to him nicely, then say it's not your fault or something like that. He's just very much like, I'm stressed. Hang on a, hurry. Hang on a minute. Yeah, Hang yeah. On a minute. Isn't Spike in his own blooming exosuit? Why didn't he shoot the cover <laughs> down? That's a good point, actually. Maybe it's been deactivated. I'll make my son yeah. do it. <laughs> From down there. A life never... lesson. Yeah. He must be gutted if you're the people who've just, you know, gone into the acid as well, as the lid shots above him and he's like, Sunday Daniel. Cliff jumper behind him, like, no, no, Spike, yeah. really, could you just could you just No no, I'm gonna yeah. teach Dan no, he's got to learn. He's got <laughs> to learn. <laughs> it builds character. Yeah. <laughs> while hubcap is melting in front of them <laughs> I've, I've often heard that about it's supposed to be hubcap or whatever i don't think that's an intentional thing is it no. it's just a generic dude that yeah. looks a bit like because his face has gone orange that's yeah, 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 yeah. and beachcomber supposedly sometimes people think he's yeah. there as well don't they but again i think it's just a, a beachcomber looking bot keechbomer keechbomer yeah exactly <laughs> cubhab this yeah kebab kebab it was, wasn't it? Yeah, by, yeah. <laughs> by the Sheesh. end of it, <laughs> Sheesh kebab. <laughs> Sheesh kebab. <laughs> Let's done it. There we go.
But no, that scene is very stressful. I think that's a good word to describe it. And uh, I do love it, though. I, I, all of the stuff inside Unicron is just mm. mad, absolutely brilliant. Just yeah. like a nightmare come to life. Doesn't this remind you of anything, Cup? Nope. Never seen anything like this before. So, you know, obviously we've mentioned the Unicron scene. Uh, what have been some of your other like real standout moments from this film? I mean, we've talked about quite a few of them already, but what when you think of this film and kind of the impact that it's left you with, what are some of your kind of key moments? Rodimus running at the end, and they spot him running with everything going off behind him yeah. and arriving and giving the commands and turning into that vehicle mode. Uh, that's the reason I do running poses on my toys, is just to try to recreate the evocative image of this the, hero the run yeah doing that incredible run he's he's done his bit for everybody he's saved everybody and uh, he just he looks the business as well after opening the matrix that is probably the standout scene for me of of the whole film everything with rodimus basically yeah it's rodimus prime <laughs> the uh, <laughs> 30 seconds of him we have yeah he just get that great scene doesn't he where he obviously transforms for the first time into his space winnebago caravan yeah. thing which don't lie that blew your mind yeah. yeah, oh, it did. Yeah, I love all of that. And that I knew you had potential, lad. Yeah, the music as well, the lights, the teal behind him, Unicron falling apart. You know. That yeah. lighting as he's sprinting down that corridor yes. is incredible. Yeah, the kind yeah. of glow. It, it's the combination of colors as well, I think, actually. It's the pink, because there's a lot of the, like the kind of cool steel blue of Unicron. Uh, and the kind of pinkish glow, but then with the kind of like very sort of turquoisey mm. glow as well. It's, yeah. Yeah beautiful yeah for me it's the really the start of the film after the unicron bit when you have the shuttle launch and you have that whole sequence of like laser beak turns up with a little spy camera and you see the dino bots underneath mm. and everything's moving and you know you've got the narration going over yeah. the top and then you have that uplifting moment and optimus prime is asked you know they're going around the moon bases yeah all oh, the music and yeah, checking it, in with the dudes it, because it's building in the background yeah. really slowly then all of a sudden it just shifts up and then you've got iron hide going you know your days are numbered now to sit to creeps and then the music just goes amazing as yes. he transforms and zooms off to the into the into the shuttle and it cuts back to jazz and they're going around and you've got yeah. spike saying tell my son daniel i oh, miss I him it. and all that i love it that line chills We'll do spike. <laughs> oh, you mentioned Laserbeak's uh, camera. Did you notice the that noise? The camera comes up. Yeah, and also yeah. all the technical details on the yeah. inside of his head when the camera pops up. But that's it. Like so much of that. Like I was saying about the Dinobots, when you can see them just barely as Laserbeak's looking down, mm. and they are there's obviously I don't know ammunition or something being loaded into crates or whatever they're doing some sort of factory. But the more you look at it, it's so detailed. Mm. There's so much happening. And like you say, when the camera comes out, it animates, and then you cut to the inside of the shot base. You look around, going, "Look at those chairs! Even the chairs have got super high detail. All the computers, all the buttons, all the buttons look really satisfying to push. I'd love to push on their big buttons." <laughs> but yeah, it's just a spectacular scene, and the music yes. just lifting with it. It's just this like real amazing feeling of hope. Yes. That is then crushed immediately after yeah. the very next scene. <laughs> That's what this movie is like. Yeah. It's almost like you're watching MTV and you're going yeah. between music videos that are completely brand new scenes. Yeah. It fades to black, bam, something major lands in a chunk. But you just have that whole amazing, you know, all we need is a little energon and a lot of luck. And then it yeah. cuts to Megatron and Shockwave. And Oof. yeah. More than you imagine, Optimus Prime. Yeah. You just have this amazing feeling of hope that is instantly switched into this feeling of uh oh and foreboding. Yeah, based on yeah, yeah. Line. yeah. It's really incredible. It's a good shout. 
Mine is, well, it's it's difficult to pin it down to one particular moment, but it's a six-minute part of the film. And it starts with, uh, Hot Rod, look, there's a hole in the shuttle. Yes. Yeah. The next six minutes are basically the most perfect part of any yeah. film I've ever yeah. seen, in my opinion. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just everything to me that mm. and do you know where the six minutes ends and this is i had to look it up because i was like i can't believe it's such a short bit it's uh let's hope so because if they don't we're all going to end up looking like burnt out toaster ovens wow that's, okay yeah. that, that from those two moments six that is six minutes of oh, film yeah. everything that happens in that six minutes is incredible and you think of everything they go through in that time mm. i mean i love the bit with hot rod and daniel just there where hot rod just starts firing on the ship yeah, yeah. and uh I, I love all the bit of like what's that darn fool doing and all yeah, of that yeah, yeah. It's the, the way he really runs to protect good. daniel as, as the mountain just literally blows up around him now hang on a minute D- didn't your six minutes actually like what you meant to say was that it started just a few seconds earlier when hot rod does the sexiest transformation well ever known to that is a little bit outside of the six minutes <laughs> but yes i mean to be fair you're right i would throw in make it seven minutes and throw yeah. in we, throw in we, the whole drive up the hill. Yeah, we, we've got to have the barrier in there. Yeah, a little oh, to the left. Yeah, but you see all the random characters. You see, you're like, why is Sunstreaker already there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then he appears again later. Don't talk yeah. about it. Just ignore it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, I mean, the, the hot rod introduction is just mm. about as perfect as it gets, yeah. and uh, just everything. I mean, you get the little bit with Blitzwing. Let's mm. burn rubber. You get the whole bit with Ultra Magnus, which that's I love. Old timer. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad for an all time. Get the whole bit with Ultra Magnus, you know, commanding them all, which I love that scene. Uh, oh, Springer and RC. That man, when they transform, you know, all the buttons. Well, are yes. I was just exactly oh. what I was going to say. The, the Autobot City transformation sequence yeah. is breathtaking to me, even today. Yeah, it really is. Really is. The one thing I would love to capture in photography more than anything else, I don't know how you would even do it. Just it's that motion, the way they're doing that, that something, all that technology and that something that's happening. Yeah, it's I love stuff like it, they're focused in details. It's the bit where uh, Springer, his hand grips the handle yeah. and pulls that sort of rectangular the bit. Sound, yeah, that sound. So, it looks insanely satisfying. Like you know yeah. when yeah. Cook was it on the shuttle when he puts his hand into that little throttle thing. Yes. His fingers go through the grip, and it's the same sort of action. What about the Matrix at the end? Yeah. You know, he puts his fingers into yeah, the hands he puts of his the Matrix. The, That's just it, yeah. perfect. That's the thing you see, Ultra Magnus. He didn't know how to use the holes. Yeah, fingers are too big. Transformers the movie, a movie about people putting their fingers in stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> Galvatron trying to open the Matrix, that sound of glass. Oh, the glass, yeah. the glass yeah, sound, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the the sound in this film is yes. legit incredible. I mean, people, right. it's one thing that people really kind of commend the, the live action films for is the sound design, yeah. and I agree with that. But the the sound in this film is yeah. off the charts good. But yeah, I mean, that the whole extended kind of seven or six minutes or whatever, you're talking about all the stuff with the Insecticons, mm. our way in, all of that, uh, you know, jam that transmission, everything <laughs> with Blaster and Perceptor. Yep. Yeah. It's just brilliant. I mean, it goes on from there, of course. You know, there's the time cut, but that moment you're talking about with Blaster and Perceptor, something I noticed this time, and I notice it every time I watch the movie, and I really appreciate it. Soundwave standing on the edge of the platform, about to launch the cassettes. Yeah. There's a little part of the ground he's standing near where the two bits are linked, and there's just a gap, and there's this like green the glow, the light, glow. the green glow. Yeah. I love that glow. Yeah. yeah, it just adds to the scene and the sci-fi nature of this. 
massive base. That's the kind of thing I try to recreate in photos as well. We're just having some a little bit of color here and there, tiny details that if someone yeah. takes five minutes to really examine everything that's there, that they might appreciate a little bit of extra greebly detail or techno detail. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, yeah, no scene looks dull, does it? No, there's no, you know, like in the regular cartoon or whatever your budgets and all of that, it would just be an orange blob probably. But here, it's all the details filled in and the backgrounds look immense. It's really something. All right, right, right. I reckon we should go around and do one more favorite scene. So go on, one more favorite <laughs> okay. scene because the film deserves it. Really does, Liam. What's one more favorite scene? Ah, oh, they're all favorite scenes though. It's Oof, if I had to pick another one, it if would I had to. <laughs> if if I was forced, it would it would probably be. Oh, you've already said the Autobot City battle, so I'll leave that. Well, I but said I think the first part of it. Well, it would be anything from that, obviously, because when I used to get drunk, I used to come home from Rock City, and I'd always put the movie on, and I'd watch it up to when Optimus Prime died. And that was about it. And normally pass out at that point. Do you know, it, it was him waffling drunk about Rock City at TF Nation that made me miss Jason's Irish accent. Oh, what? no. Yeah. I don't remember. I was drunk. No, exactly. And I, out, out of oh, you know, mate, politeness, so carried on listening drunk. to you and missed all the fun. <laughs> that, was, that was the night you just disappeared. Yeah. I was, I was, I was very like drunk. Like Snarl. Yeah, you were like Snell, just <laughs> you know, one scene and then not the next. Yeah, I, I obviously had better things to do that night than uh, dine. You, you were also, <laughs> can I say, you were also Great. incomprehensible. Uh, I remember actually Maz and I talking to each Manistone other. Manistone mode. And just being like, <laughs> what is Liam even trying to communicate? And right, the last yeah. of the... <laughs> 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 Liam as he left I'm it. Astro- <laughs> for, I should have left on my race. Talking about characters sounding like they're yeah. underwater. You were just... <laughs> You know I mean? It wasn't water I was under, let's just say that. Right. <laughs> it was the liquid, though. Yeah. So what was the scene, actually? I missed the, the scene. scene, yeah. The scene is going to be that scene when they're approaching Unicron, you know, in the Junkion ship, and ah. Cup has that line. Yeah. But then, obviously, when Unicron, the Dinobots jump out and kick him in the butt a little bit later, all that whole thing, I think, is fantastic. That battle yeah. just moving so quick. We haven't talked about the Unicron battle. <laughs> they tried to burn really. his bomb. <laughs> he pulled his it. own leg off. How, how amazing was that to see as a kid? I'm, yeah. I'm so glad I get to get this in that you guys didn't say it. But did he pull it off? Yeah, he pulled his own leg off. I thought it. I always thought it was him trying to, because he's exploding, trying to hold himself together, and it's just he's holding it, and it. it who pulled what off? I phased out. <laughs> How does that come up so often in episode two? No, I I had always thought that Unicorn pulls his own leg off because it, it's starting to like think it's just going to explode or something, and he's just trying oh, to really? save himself. That's why. Yeah, my reading of that scene was always that he's exploding and he's trying to hold himself together. But maybe it is. That's what it is. It could be either way. I don't know which is more disturbing, actually. Yeah. yeah. E- either either interpretation, I yeah. think. So right, this scene reformatting. I knew you were going to oh, say it. Yeah. That was going to be mine. Reformatting. See, I yeah. love it. Yeah. I'll never get tired of it ever. There was no other scene. I, I yeah. could think of that would match that really. Everything from Welcome Megatron onwards. Yes. Ah, but In what about space? Just yeah. What what about the one just before it when they you know when they are fleeing Autobot City? How cool is that? Anyway, oh, that's how that music Rumble's again. carrying the gun. Yeah. Outside of, like the fusion cannon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is very cool. That, that, that deserves cool. a spot. That deserves a yeah. spot. Yeah. There's that shot of Astro Train as they get it's in and they're all sort of stirring. sat down looking. That's the word. Yeah. It's stirring. But it even really they is. look beaten as they get as they flee and get inside the back of Astro Train. Yeah. yeah. 
I do love all of that. But the reformatting, it's just the design, the colors, the green, the music. purple, the music. Yeah. The I was uh, captivated by this. Voice acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. The 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 harsh red when Megatron is being oh, punished. The sound what goes with it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's oh man. And the bit and it's it's how it goes from being so uh harsh and like shouty and and the the sound at that point when Megatron is going, I accept your terms and yeah. all of that is, is awful. And then it just goes so blissfully calm and quiet as Unicron just goes, Excellent. Yeah. And it and it just carries and on. End of an era. And that's yeah. end of an era right there. And it is, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. I, I love the design of Megatron as he's being just wiped out and just overwritten. Yeah. It's now I must go back and say you are absolutely right in that that Super Seven reformatted Megatron is completely unacceptable. Ah! <laughs> it's completely unacceptable. I completely am with you there now. Yeah. It they got it. How could you get it that wrong? I'm not one to normally get you know yeah. uppity about this kind of stuff. Like I'm very much like apart <laughs> from when you are, yeah. <laughs> which is not. Well, I'm not normally, but yeah. like the, if you're going to get this thing, yeah. you know, do it. Don't get the reformatting yeah. going the wrong way. It's, I'm with uh, you. Yeah, it's such an odd thing to get wrong. There's obviously a reason for it, but it just yeah, it defeats the whole purpose of the toy. <laughs> yeah, I do love that they they homage that in MP36 Megatron though. Oh, his face, yeah, yeah. Do you have another scene, Sixo, that you want to give us? One more scene. What now that I can't have the reformatting? Well, yeah, let's let's <laughs> squeeze one one more of those classics in there. All right. Well, there is just so many to pick. I mean, we haven't really, as I say, we haven't talked a lot about the whole fight scene with Unicron and dare I say the transformation of Unicron. <laughs> oh yeah. Which, that. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to put that in there because that is, I've never seen anything like it before or since. I think it's fair to say mm. I, there's yeah. very little things I think you could see on a big cinema screen that would quite come close <laughs> to matching just the sheer level of awesome. And yeah. what I love about it again is the dialogue and the music and everything that goes with it. Oh, but just the dialogue. the his lines, man. Well, it's the for me the particular line of dialogue it might be one of the most underrated lines of dialogue in the film. I think is Unicron saying, "You underestimate me, Galvatron," <laughs> and just everything that follows. What do you know? It's, yeah. I mean, never. Especially has, if you didn't know it was coming, right? Yeah. Never have truer words been spoken. <laughs> you have most definitely underestimated yeah. this dude, you know? Just ah. the music that goes along with it as well. It's when it goes into almost like horror music style organ yes. like goes <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah. The organ is incredible. Uh, I just vividly remember scenes like his cuffs sliding back to reveal his hands yes. and the way the hands open. Mm. It's just horrible but brilliant. It's, it's almost foreshadowed with the Autobot City transformation yeah. that you're going to get something of scale. But what makes this so great and gives you a sense of scale is having Galvatron yes. trying to avoid falling into the gaps mm. and stuff like that and looking like the genuine look of horror on his face again. But it's that sense of scale that puts you there and you look at it and you realise how big it is. Because if he's not there, I think you assume he's big, but you just see a robot transforming. But with having a person there, you get to see just the sheer scale of what's occurring. Mm -hmm. And the detail is insane. Yeah, the, the amazing. retracting cogs and yeah. pistons, pistons and things. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the clip of Galvatron's face always gets me. Just that yeah. no words, just abject look of terror on his Still face. Surprise. Yeah, of of complete bewilderment. Just what he's mm. seeing uh, is incredible. And the chest. Yeah, the, the reveal of the the glowing red abs. Yeah, which is I'm I'm going to do my second nitpicky thing 
uh, in a row now, but is something that on the the War for Cybertron Unicron toy isn't quite right because it's six abs on on the the in the animation, and he has eight abs on the toy. And I love the toy. I can't say enough nice things about the toy. I really wish it had six abs instead of eight. I don't know why that one little thing just bothers me slightly. Glad I didn't buy it now. Yeah, right off me. Inaccurate. Honestly. Yeah, just shove it in the bin. <laughs> it's trash. It's trash. Trash. It's lazy. Yeah. yeah. God, has blow. <laughs> what are you playing at? It's a pity you Autobots die so easily, or I might have a sense of satisfaction now. I think we should then just sort of start wrapping it up with some favorite yeah. quotes. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about the dialogue, and, and I actually think if you look at these scenes, one of the reasons they have the gravity they do is because they, they're using words that maybe I probably didn't understand fully as a child when I watched it. Things like, your bargaining posture is highly dubious, and things like that that have aged brilliantly. Yeah, 100%. As the dialogue to a children's cartoon. And the you were talking about for a while I considered, you know, sparing the dismem- your yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. Like, now witness its dismemberment. Like I probably I didn't pick up on fifty percent of what was being said uh, when I first watched it, or even as a child, but can really appreciate the the power behind those lines now. Yeah, I, I mean, a hundred percent. I think things like the, the the dialogue between Megatron and Unicron has always stood out to me as as one of the best bits. You know, your yeah. bargaining posture and all of that. Yeah. Uh, even things like the way he says, "Nobody summons Megatron," then yeah. it pleases me to be the first. You yes. know, it's, it's just such wonderful repartee. Yeah. Uh, served yeah. brilliantly. It's a really amazing intimate scene as well, isn't it? Because it really is just two characters in a void. Yeah. Without much going on around them. And it's just them arguing, basically. <laughs> yeah, and who has ever gotten the better of Megatron that way? Who has yeah. ever been able to outthink, outspeak, and outmuscle him really like that in any of Transformers up to that point? Absolutely. Well, a few times in the cartoon, but <laughs> maybe. And it's the uh, yeah, proceed on your way to oblivion. Just amazing lines. Yeah, yeah. absolutely incredible lines. And Unicron stays in character the whole way with that kind of, you know, those deep lines. Perfect for yeah. Orson Welles. I'm sure, he enjoyed, sure, he enjoyed, sure he enjoyed it. I wonder if those are the lines that are on the Unicron toy. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We don't know, do we, what dialogue is on that thing. We'll have to ask uh, Raz at some point, but yeah. uh, I don't think he's he's keen to to even try and hear it himself, is he? But no, it's understandable. Uh, yeah, exactly. It is weird to think that actually Orson Welles' last recorded dialogue could be on that toy. Yeah, and right. It just amazes me, that does. So what are some of your other favourite lines of dialogue then? Oh, it's a classic, isn't there? I've got better things to do tonight than die. It's just, yeah. it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It sums up Springer in a nutshell. It really does. The, yeah. the cowboy character, yeah. basically it's the John Wayne of the thing. It's perfect. There's, there are so many he has, though, lines like that. Just, yeah. God, it fantastic. really is a good line. It would be a good line in any film. It doesn't have to yeah. be Transformers. Yeah. It's that, and obviously, believe it or not, this is the fun part. It's just <laughs> the way that kicks in is so good. First you crack the shell, then you then crack, you crack the, nuts. the nuts inside. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> just wow. No way to complain. Sick em. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know, when I talked to, earlier about that, that time at school when we were all in our teens or whatever, uh, the bit that got the biggest cheer, without a doubt, was uh, was Blaster saying no way two can play yeah. and suddenly on all of the, his little tapes come out that got an absolute I still remember it to this day just a round of like cheers 
uh, and everything. So I would say some of the Prime and Megatron dialogue mm, is really good. Yeah. You know, I would have waited an eternity for this. Yes, uh, it's over Prime and all of that is is really Why incredible. Throw away your life so recklessly, so good. And, and of course, the scientist who steals the movie with one of the best lines, which is. Ultra Magnus, a cursory evaluation of Decepticon <laughs> capabilities indicates a distinct tactical deficiency. Yeah, that's like that. very good. Yeah. Cover that your receptors, really Perceptor. In other words, Perceptor, yeah. we're outnumbered. Yeah. That line is so good. It's good because it tells you everything you need to know about the characters as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's really good. Uh, I do love all the stuff about experience, lad. You should learn mm. to appreciate it. <laughs> and that, that dialogue there, I think a lot of the good it's done so far and all of that is brilliant. Turbo Revenue Punk. It's a classic. Old classic. What about some of Eric Idle's lines? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He has so many. You talk yeah. TV? Yes. <laughs> uh, Maz, I'm surprised so far that you haven't come up with we can't hold out forever, Cup, but we can give them one <laughs> humongous <laughs> repair bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, that's a favourite of yours. I really love, like, uh, get on with the ceremony, like, from Starscream. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love that. It's not hard to knock them down. It's getting to stay there. That's the truth. <laughs> Is that what we're doing now? We're just, yeah, just, yeah, just, just lying there. We're just going to do the whole film in about 90 minutes of just... Oh. It was inevitable that it was going to descend yeah, into that. You can't talk about this film with anybody that loves it without it eventually just turning into a quote fest. I thought that was supposed to reciprocate. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I mean, yeah. I feel a bit like Ironhide tonight where every time I look into my monitor, my circuits are <laughs> weird or we're going to start busting deceptive chops. And yeah. we we we've briefly mentioned it with the why throw away your life, but the one shall stand, one shall yeah. fall, and all of that. Yeah. Those those lines now have just become so synonymous with the franchise as a whole, haven't they? I mean, they've popped up in yeah. the two thousand seven film, and it's all iconography now, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. The the dialogue itself has taken on a sort of uh, an extra level, if you like, of of just representing something to do with this franchise, which is quite something. Yeah. So so much of this film defines i think now i think defines the franchise in so many ways i do think for me personally i think it is the most impactful piece of transformers media because oh, yeah. Yeah. of what it's led to and it's there's an irony to it that it's a movie that set out to avoid nostalgia almost and just wipe the deck clean mm-hmm. but it's not the one that everyone goes back to now to hold up as this sets the standard for what everything should be now it's yeah. it's kind of crazy like it sets the status quo almost for things. I, I think you, you're right. A lot of Transformers media now, not everything, but a lot of stuff can be wiped back. So like even like the Bay movies, for example, have had huge impact. And we've talked about, you know, the 2007 film, and I'm sure we'll come back and do the, the rest of the yeah. series at some point. But, you know, the, those films have you their have own impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we must. did the good one. We yeah, did the good one. We've got to do it at some point. We're doing the good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got to do it at some point. We absolutely should. Hey, Maz, I remember your face and excitement when we were talking about that 2007 movie. Yeah. And you were talking about hotel rooms and things you had. Standees. Yes. You loved it. I did. Don't pretend. But but my point was going to be that, you know, those films equally have, have, have or had their moment. But then the slate always goes back to its kind of default, doesn't it? Transformers as a whole. Whereas the 86 movie is a sort of a... I don't know. It's it's a never ending touch point for everything that comes after it. I think in this franchise, it, it'll never be t- it, the franchise will never move on from it. Really, and I don't say that yeah. in a bad way. And and it probably will never want to. No, because yeah. of just how fantastic and perfect it 
it sits in the history of Transformers and, and our memories as well. And it engenders emotion in a way no other piece of Transformers media does. And right. I don't say that just as somebody who saw it as a kid. It's just, even watching it now, just the moments in it are so powerful, I think, even to a new person. Yeah. Maybe not as much, but when you watch the Bay movies, they're so much longer and there is so much other stuff like comedy and other things happening, a lot more dialogue. Whereas in this, everything moves with such a punch. And it's like, oh my God, these people are dead. This thing's happening. Mm. There's a sense of fear, all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think there's anything like it. And obviously... The Nobody music... urinates on anybody. Um, <laughs> more than meets the eye comes close for me as a comic yeah. to oh, evoking yeah. similar moments of... I would agree. I have experienced yeah. something that this Special. franchise almost doesn't deserve, you know. Yeah, but, but yeah. But I, I think this film, it almost serves as like a the highlight reel of G1 because it just feels like everything that was good about the cartoon is there mm-hmm. and better. Yep. Yeah, if this would be the thing you would show somebody, I think, of G1. Yeah, 100%. It is, uh, it is like G1 on its best day, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's like the absolute victory lap, if you like, of everything that G1 had to offer. And there are other good bits in, in G1 as well, of yep. course, but aside from all the goofiness and everything, but this is like just the, yeah, this is on, at its Sunday best. Yeah, yeah, this is that moment when you see your favorite thing done to its best possible level yeah. by the professionals. <laughs> in yeah. a way, that, that's what this feels like. Absolutely, I, I just love every bit of it. I think it's aged so well, yeah. and I I love it. Like the first time I watched it, I remember I enjoyed it, but I was a bit wary. But then the, every time I saw it after, it was like, oh my god, this is great, yeah. and it just carries you along with it. And a good movie does that, I think. And I don't mean it's like a great movie, like a cinematic masterpiece, but it was a movie made for kids for you to just enjoy. And I think on that level, it does everything perfectly. Yeah, I've yeah. never loved it more than I do today. I don't think yeah. that's great, man. It's beyond your wildest imagination. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think for us as well, we, we do get this great sense of nostalgia. We can look at it and it's such a nice encapsulation of everything you love about Transformers. Definitely. So I think you get to, get to view it from a completely different perspective, but nonetheless a great one. One shall stand, one shall fall. Why throw away your life so recklessly? That's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. So that's our 50th episode done, for the most part. And we feel like we've covered as much of Transformers the movie as we can like legitimately squeeze into an episode like this. Obviously, there's other little bits and details and facts and trivia and deleted scenes that we'd love to talk about and the soundtrack as a whole in our Patreon content. And speaking of Patreon, we are at patreon.com forward slash triple takeover. We can find extra content, loads of minisodes and episodes. You can have a say in what we talk about. You can get to episodes early. You can access our Discord channel as well. So there's loads for you to check out there. And it's listed in detail at that address. Uh, Another perk is the ability to ask a question that we answer on the pod. And so we have a question from Jodet Walter, who asks, of all the Transformers toys, which bot would you love to see re-released? And his choice is Grand Max. What about you guys? (laughs) Grand Max is an interesting one. They nearly did it, didn't they? They nearly did it. Yeah, Grand Max reissue. Uh, if Encore Fort Max had sold better, it would have happened. But what do you think, Liam? I'm going to go with Galaxy Shuttle. G1 Galaxy Shuttle. G1 Galaxy Shuttle. Because it's a toy that's very expensive to own and it turns yellow. And it's it would just be nice to own that myself and experience that toy. But like a, a new version of it. As in a new re-release of the old. Yeah, version. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got like, you. Yeah, a new tooling of that mould. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than a second-hand copy or an older copy. I, I just... God, it's such an amazing looking toy. And so mysterious. It's like one of the last mm. really mysterious toys that I would love to own. 
Uh, mine's similar. I mean, I, I yeah, it's Grandis, G1 Grandis, uh, yeah. for similar reasons, because it's frequently yellowed, hugely overpriced, very, very hard to get hold of. I mean, like when you're talking like tiers of hard to find G1 toys, a lot of the stuff that we spend most of our time talking about doesn't even register versus some of the type of like upper tier stuff, you know, and Grandis is not like the top, top tier, but it's it's not far off, I would say. And uh, just, I would love to have that thing. And there has been a Star Convoy reissue. So to see Grandus and, you know, Sky Gary as well, but I have a Sky Gary. So purely for me, yeah, Grandus. For me, uh, because you said Galaxy Shuttle, that would have been one of my go-tos. I-, I used to own a Galaxy Shuttle briefly, and it was everything you hoped for. Believe me, really? it is. It's great. It's a great toy. Perfect. It um, looks spectacular. I would say uh, G1 Metro Titan or Black Zarek. I would love to be able to own those two from fresh absolutely perfect at an affordable price i've owned metro titan before it's it's everything anyone could hope it to be metroplex is great metro titan's better it's just gorgeous and black zarek because i i so love scorponok so much i would love it in those colors free from gps just painted gold you know does it have gps (laughs) not to know you tell me (laughs) but yeah i would what's gps i've never heard of it Yes, well, I would love to have a Black Zarek. So that would be my answer. That will make your time. Excellent choices. Right, and another perk of Patreon is the shout-out that you get at Sixos Butler and Gold Box Classics. So for our 50th anniversary yeah. shout-out... Are you doing this in the voice from Transformers the movie? Yes! <laughs> it looks horrified, look. Oh, oh, oh yeah. No pressure. Um, <laughs> I, I'm always trying to do it as blur, so I can try and do it as something else. <laughs> And the Mapes Brothers, who you might recognize. <laughs> <clears throat> Just uh, get ready. I'm not really do doing this. that, am I? Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Built it up a bit now. And a great thank you. To... Does that even sound... <laughs> Close. That's brilliant. Please just do whatever that was. That's great. <laughs> and a huge thank you to Nick, Danny Roberts, Andy, Preston, Chris, Spiderfather, Adam Shoemaker, Matt, Steve Brogan, Matt, Sally, Justin Massaro, Dave, Darren Pivot, Dio Kaiser, Yusuf, John Pearl, Tricep, Adam, Cars, Alec, Mary, Cabinare, Phil, G, Jack, Bladier, Rotor Storm, Stuart, Weber, Mar, Lee, Zerby, P with Hunter, Vegemite, Mike, Peter Hammerson, Shenry, Chris Norris, Jesse Marino, Nexus, Jim Owen, Aris, Rewada, Billy Gator, Andy Gold, Cold Squall, Simon Elvin, Joshua's Misha, Get Fantastic, Plastic, Damastator, Jeffrey Frigg, <laughs> Nice Side, Red Zandy, Inbound Lee, John Wood, Kyla Wilmot, Tim Banerjee, Campbell, Ben Lewis, Shinsei, Lucas Henkel will return, Mollus Koenig, Malcolm Hobbs, CNC, Rick 56, Not CNC, Music Factory, Mythic Gears, Zach Lawson, Jason Murray, David Shepard, The Steam, Quick Mix, Josh Bell, Ashbold, Zindios, Christian Hyde, Mark Ali, Andrew Bedney, Graham Muffin, Connor C, Barcarada, Eric White, Bobby P, Mike Blair, Conan, Nier, Hot Dyer Husky, Chris Rodwell, Steve Rodwell, Fort Morpin, Sean, Jim Kinsey, Shanti Siegel, James Pascoe, Ghost Prime, not Ghost Bulls, Jiggle, MK Tronic, Hordet Walter, Charlie Chappelle, <laughs> Maddie Clark, Jonathan, Paul Sergeant Howard, Alexis Taylor, Windows 6K, Tango James, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Dixon, Jamie Willow, Ross, Jetfire James, Dark Lunch UK, Saucy Fellow, <laughs> ah, Absurd Keith, Freedom is the Right, Anthony Strom, Michael Kegel, Big Doug. <laughs> and <laughs> big thank you to our new patrons. <laughs> King McKinney, Thomas Anderson, Squid Catfish, Rob Packerbush, Stevie P, Roy Han, Ellie Nunes, John R. And the greatest patron of them all <laughs> will return. The Mapes Brothers, who you might recognize. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. This, this is the greatest moment this podcast has ever had. That was amazing. <laughs> I was just going to say, we've peaked. Oh, wow. Can you please put the uh, the song from Lion I underneath. I really intend to, yes. 
I fully intend to. Oh my god. That was insane. That was absolutely brilliant. We've peaked. We have peaked. I didn't expect you to do it. No. I had my hand over my mouth for most of that because I was just utterly agog at what was happening. I was like, what's going on? When I said it, I just thought it was just a random throwaway joke, but that was that was perfect. But could could I also ask? So one of our patrons there, well, who do we think Fart Warp turned into in the movie? Then was he a <laughs> was he a scourge? Or... <laughs> I hope it didn't turn into it didn't turn into anything, frankly. But... Oh man, I just love that you were like, and here's our new patrons from last time or whatever, and then they're going to be listening to this like, oh, okay, this is not at all what I imagined, but. No. Uh... Hopefully they enjoyed We it. finally became the podcast everyone was afraid we were at the start. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, dear. Brilliant. Amazing. Well done, mate. Well Great done. Great fun. Great fun. Well, it's got to be done for the old 50th episode extravaganza, hasn't it? And we didn't really say at the start, but I meant to... Uh, well, I, I couldn't have gone the whole evening without mentioning just a big thank you to everybody that's listened, supported us. And and especially obviously our patrons because we frankly yeah. wouldn't be here without them. It's too it's right. fair to say. Yeah, and, uh, they're all amazing. You know, if if ever, obviously we do big perks, and you know there are lots of stuff that that go into our patron to make it what it is. But it makes such a difference to us running this pod yeah. for absolutely everybody that signs up at whatever level, even if it's just a pound a month to to keep us going. So it truly is appreciated. Yeah. And uh, lots of you listen for free, and that is great as well. We appreciate that support also. And uh, just this is, you know, 50, 50th episode for us, but also kind of our second year anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, two year anniversary. And we are just blown away with the level of support and enthusiasm we've had for this pod and we couldn't be happier frankly and thank you yeah yeah thank you all we uh we are constantly surprised by the number of people and the sorts of people who listen yeah. to this podcast yeah. and we're extremely grateful and uh also thank you to all of those who are on our discord channel who we get to drop our content and then go there and hear your amazing feedback and discuss it with you which is just an absolute pleasure it's just a joy to chat to people on there, isn't it? And yeah. it's so nice. I can't believe we've made it to 50 episodes. I mean, it's just an incredible feeling, really. It doesn't feel like oh, that at all. Ridiculous. Well, sometimes, maybe. But... Not, not, to, not to mention 40-something minisodes yeah. and uh, whatever else besides. So, But yeah, one of, one of my favourite moments of the week is when new content drops, which for us yeah. is twice a week now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you're on, if you follow all of our kind of tiers and stuff. And it's it's when new content drops and you go on Discord and immediately people are like listening to it and sharing their reactions and stuff and you get to kind of hear it in real time. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, we've met so many nice people on there. It's a very nice community of people. For sure. Agreed. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Should also say a big thank you to our sponsor for the evening, which is tfsource.com. As you heard earlier, do go and check them out for all your Transformers and third-party needs. They've been wonderful at uh, continuously sponsoring this pod, and we are appreciative of it. And as you've made it this far, the one thing you don't have to do tonight is you don't have better things to do tonight than buy. Because you can head over to our (laughs) Rebelable store, and you can find all sorts of merchandise as we've spoken about. And you can find that at rebelable.com forward slash people forward slash triple takeover forward slash explore. And as we did say, there is a lot of things that we haven't spoken about tonight in as much depth as we'd like to, but we're going to talk about those in minisodes and things like that. But if there's anything you really want to speak to us about, you can just hit us up on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at triple underscore takeover and at triple takeover or one word if you fancy hit us up on Facebook. Oh, and we're on uh, we're on YouTube as well. Oh, as well. Yeah. Worth, yes. worth mentioning that. that. 
at yeah we're back on youtube some of you may have heard us previously on youtube and then we took a little bit of a sabbatical and mm. uh, we've decided that yeah it's worth a go after all so we're, we're back on youtube we're just currently updating our back catalog we'll get that up today asap uh, but you can find us on youtube just there at uh, at triple underscore takeover as well don't call it a comeback even though I suppose technically it is. <laughs> but uh, lads, where can they find you if people would like to follow you both on social media? I am at Square one on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, nobody summons 6-0, but you can find me at uh, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, at 6 uh, at you, You're going to have to change your name on Twitter like immediately to nobody summon 6 like, it might do actually yeah I might just go and do it now and then people will see it and be like what? And I'm at Toybox Box anywhere there's an at thank you so much for joining us for this 50th extravaganza and uh looking back now i don't think we could have picked a better topic than something we are all so deeply in love with which is connected to our love of transformers and, and of this podcast so there's nothing else left to say but till all are one you got the touch you got the Greatest Autobot of them all, Optimus Prime, will return. Will return. Yeah. So please don't send us any angry letters, parents. <laughs>